Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by DAZONE. Don't forget about Canelo Alvarez first Daniel Jacobs this weekend, Saturday, champion versus champion, live from Las Vegas. People have been waiting this one for a while. They're unifying all 27 middleweight belts. We're going to be talking about Brian Ken- to Brian Kenny with- about this uh, later on in this podcast, but uh, this is happening. This is a big fight, and you should have the zone. You should be subscribing to it right now. You could watch this fight. Uh, check it out, the zone. We're also brought to you by Bud Light. Keeping it real. Putting an ingredients label on their packaging, brewed with hops, barley, water, and rice. No corn syrup, no preservatives, no artificial flavors. You know who else is keeping it real right now? Nikola Jokic. What's going on with that dude? I voted for him third for MVP. I feel vindicated. He's been one of the best players in the playoffs. Denver might make the Western Finals. Who knows? Uh, we'll be talking about him with Jackie McMullen in a little bit. Cheers to Bud Light, reminding you to enjoy responsibly and keep it real. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, where we're having the greatest month we've ever had, literally and figuratively, uh, as well as The Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find the Rewatchables podcast. We did Mean Girls this week. Me, Julia Littman, Amanda Dobbins. It is up right now. You can check it out. You can also check out On Luminary, Rewatchables 1999, our little spinoff series. We have Cruel Intentions coming late this week. So there you go. Um, as well as Binge Mode, which is dropping, I think, Wednesday night about the big Winterfell episode. The big battle happened. It was such a big, grueling battle that Mallory actually got sick. And Mallory did not come into work today. She's. Uh, we thought it would be like episode four and a half was kind of the over-under for when uh, she'd get a debilitating illness from being broken down from this show. It was early this year. So if you bet the under, congratulations. It was episode three. But hopefully Binge Mode will be up and ready to go on uh, late Wednesday night. Feel better, Mallory. We miss you. Uh, coming up, Jackie McMullen, the Hall of Famer, as well as uh, Brian Kenny, old friend. We're going to be talking basketball. We're going to be talking about boxing. Tiny bit of baseball. That's all coming up first. Our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this, just so you know, 2.40 we're starting on uh, Tuesday afternoon. So there will be two games tonight. And if there's like, if the Artest Melee Part 2 happens tonight, <laughs> or or one Let's of the biggest officiated controversies ever, or uh, Kyrie has 70 tonight, and that's not reflecting this pod, that's not our fault, because we're taping before the games. Right. But Jackie McMullen is here. Always Hi. a pleasure. One of my favorites. I haven't, well, we saw, I saw you at Sloan. Didn't count. We didn't really talk. I can't remember the last time we've done a pod. I know it's been at oh, least been, a few years. It's been years. It's been since I was at Grantland. Um, every time I, every time I'm with you, it always turns into a podcast. It does. We run into each other. We just start having <laughs> like we this a lot life to cover. talk. Yeah, we just start talking about stuff, <laughs> family, all all the stuff we're hearing. Probably half of the stuff we couldn't say in a podcast, but um, those are the best kind, right? Yeah, the off the record podcast. Yeah, the off the record. <laughs> That, that Sloan was a great off the record. Oh my week, God. Like two days of just, cause that was when Kyrie was like, things were really funky with the Celtics and 
every GM or coach or official from another team was like, hey, you know, usually the guys that like are avoiding you because they know you're going to ask them a question they don't want to answer. And then, you know, on that thing, they've got like your arm around like, hey, sit down, have a cup of tea. What's new with you? And I'm like, yeah, like you really care about me. Right. They just wanted to know. Well, you were one of the staples for people to go up to and get information from. I I thought it was funny. It was happening to me and I'm not an information person, (laughs) but all the basketball people that were there that I ran to was like the first thing. Dude, what's going on with the Celtics? Like, right, because it was. It was so confounding. It was late February. It was. It was. And it was really confounding then. And it's confounding now because allegedly it's solved, which I'm just, you know, like I, I did uh, the jump today since it's Tuesday with Paul Pierce today. And he's declared this series over because the Celtics have won one game against the Bucks, And I'm looking at him like- He's a maniac. I was so it, mad. You know, I love Pierce. I was right. so mad when he said that on TV. It's like, first of all, you're supposed to love the Celtics. Right. There's no upside to this. <laughs> this just goes up in the Milwaukee locker room right now that you did this. And, and you know what I said one day on the show? I said, Paul Pierce, if I had ever said to you when you were trailing a series one to nothing that the series is over, you'd be so far up in my grill. And mm. he was laughing because he knows I'm right, you know. And there's just no basis, in fact, on making a declaration like that anyway, especially with this team, because you do not know what this team is going to do from one day to the next. And, and I know they they've either. played better. I know they've played better. I know they've won 11 out of 13. I know all the metrics. I know defensively. Defensively, actually, they've been pretty consistent. Yeah. The entire year. But they think about the game one win when they missed, they had a 15 to 0 run put on them. Yeah. And they still won the game. I mean, I don't know if that says more about them or the Bucks, but normally in big games, when they go into those stretches and they do where they can't score and they can't make shots, instead of like slowing down, passing the ball around, everybody comes down and goes, I'll do it. I'll do it. Wait, let me hit this 18 footer with three guys in my face. Yeah. And uh, the lowest percentage shot on the floor, you know? And so for anybody to declare that they're all set and we're on our way to the finals, I'm like, where have you been and what have you been watching? It's a great playoffs because I have no idea who's going to win the title. I picked Houston before the playoffs. I bet on them. I have no idea. You know, it was just, I like the odds, Mm. but I could see Houston also getting swept or losing in five or, you know, who who the hell knows? Right. I like, it reminds me of 93 going way back yeah, where it was, was just a lot else. of good teams, really fun second round on. And right. it was like, I don't know. I well, think nothing you know, would surprise me. I'm a big hockey fan and I bet you are too, because yeah. you grew up in Boston. And so we've been, um, I had some neck surgery. So I, I decided I'm not going to watch hardly any basketball. I'm going to expand my mind and read a lot of books. And so the first two weeks. I couldn't read books because I was getting really bad headaches. So I watched a lot of TV. I watched all these series that I should have watched years ago, but I also started watching hockey again. And hockey, the hockey playoffs, a number eight seed can beat a number one seed. And I I remember just thinking like, wouldn't that be great if that could happen in the NBA? Nothing unpredictable happens in the NBA, but I'm wrong. I'm wrong this time. There are some really fun, unpredictable things happening. And it's got my attention. OKC, even though they had home court, still felt the OKC demise was unpredictable. A little and now, bit. now that we're in but, a but, second but round. But Bill, think about that. Should it be really? How long have we been watching Russell Westbrook put up amazing, amazing numbers? And then when the playoffs come, play at that warp speed that he plays in and feeling like he has to do it all at once and 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 it doesn't work. I was more shocked by the finality of everybody kind of collectively going, oh yeah, this is this will never work now. Right. I think I've felt that way for you a while. You were there? Although, except for Paul George was a nice 
That's what I, well, I was man, thinking. I was like, but he can do this. And and you know what? Flipped. And maybe maybe they could have like his shoulder is bad. We'll find out soon. I thought we would have found out within four eight hours of the series, like yeah. that he had a torn rotator cuff. Right. Or well, maybe he just hasn't. Maybe he just isn't ready to to deal with it. Right. Yeah. You know, he strikes me as a guy that would. You know, he's not a publicity hound per se. So, but I think we're going to find out something's really, really wrong with his shoulder. But would that have turned the series? I think it would have made a difference. And, you know, is Roberson ever going to play for them again? Because he was just someone that I thought would really make a difference in a series, in, in, a, in a seven game series, in a playoff situation. But the kid can't stay healthy. So, I guess so maybe I was we su- don't know the answer, is I guess my point, right? I was surprised. Just their behavior during it, the way they acted after game through all that. So we don't have to litigate OKC. I think they're done. I want to talk to you about um, team chemistry and personality and happiness and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Because this is a big, big thing for me. I was talking about I'm the the body language doctor. And, And, you know, I got in trouble with Tom Brady once about that. I wrote a thing about Tom Brady's body language. And it was the first time he ever like raised his voice to me. Seriously, yeah, what did no, he say? Like he just he w- w- didn't agree with what I was saying, but I knew he was mad. Like you yeah. can always tell when Tom Brady's mad. Can't hide it. Yeah, and he he was really he, he took offense with what I I mean it was years and years ago now. So so I you thought, covered in the eighties, going way back. Mm-hmm. You're covering. You replaced Bob Ryan as the Celtics beat writer. Yeah, good idea, huh? You did fine. <laughs> terrible you did idea. okay for yourself. <laughs> it was such a terrible idea. You know, I used to. We show were all up mad re- though when you took over. It was like, who's this? Oh no, kidding! Why? I mean, who, who's where's this Bob guy? Ryan going? Who's this guy? Like that was the best thing that ever happened to me because if I, my name was Kim McMullen, everybody would have like said, "Forget it." Like, I was just. Oh, people airport, thought you were a guy. I was just at the airport on Sunday, and this guy was sitting next to me. and He goes, "Oh, you know, I love talking basketball. I love reading your stuff." And when I was little, my dad made me read your stuff, and he said, "Read this guy." And he said, "We all thought you were like an Irish Catholic guy from Southie," and I was like, "Yeah, I'm a." Protestant girl born and raised, uh, born in New York City, you know? It's so. funny. I never thought that, but now that you said that, that makes sense. Yeah, damn. I mean, it's I like was Jackie good. McMullen from Southie. Yeah, her, right. Her father, Jack Jackie McMullen Mac. Sr. Yeah, Jackie Mac, right? <laughs> yeah. So everybody thought that. And like, it was the best thing for me that people thought that because I could sort of skate my, I could try to just, you either thought I sucked or you thought I was okay. And you didn't have any preconceived notions about who I was or what I looked like. So walk me through, let's imagine those mid 80s Celtics mm-hmm. teams. And yeah. all the weird shit that was going on with those guys. Unbelievable. If we now put them in 24-7, first take, right. social media, they, well, their Instagram being, the interviews being filmed going right onto the well, internet, you know what? what happens? Well, for one thing, Larry Bird would never have done two books with me. <laughs> I can tell you that, right? I mean, think about it. Larry Bird got in that fight in the bar with Oh, in 85. Yeah. I mean, like someone would have had footage of that. He didn't talk to Shaughnessy for what, a year? Oh, longer, I think. And now they're fine. Scoop. He calls him Scoop. Well, we had to tell derisively. people what that story was. So yeah. Bird in 85 goes to another level. What yeah, 85. 85. Yeah. I'm not great with dates. So February, yeah. January, February, March goes to another level. And yeah. this was like buzzer beaters, the right. whole thing. He's never played Greatest better. player in the world. Yep. Round one doing fine. Something happens. All of a sudden, he's not shooting as well. And there's something wrong with his hand and nobody's talking about it. Right. And rumors are going around. Bar got fight. In a fight. Bar fight. Something happened. Quinn Buckner was there. We don't know what happened, but no. then at some point- Or maybe we do, or maybe we, we think Nobody we wants do. to write nobody it. Wants, different well, no one really knows, right? Nobody really knows, but they would now because someone would have, A- Oh, and it's on the internet it. that, that right. day probably. Yeah, they, they would have the picture of him and, and the guy would be interviewed on like Inside Edition, whoever, or TMZ or whatever. Right. Well, TMZ would just have parked themselves down in Faneuil Hall outside Clark's and all those places. Guys, and every single night as guys came out, you know- 
like you know in the really early days after after Bird and Rick Roby had like gathered up everybody's beers in the in the locker room and stuffed them in those like those, right. those uh, what do you call Tuffle it? Bags. Tuffle bags. No, they put them in like uh, you know the what am I having a mental block? Pillowcases. They'd pack pillowcases and like if you didn't feel oh you're not finishing those they'd grab yours and Roby and Bird throw them on the bus. Oh the my pillowcases. god! Yeah, and like just imagine like TMZ be waiting for them every night. Yeah. You know? Well, so that, they never would have made it through. And the other thing I always thought was, like, they were such a great group of guys. And and they're all fine now. Like, you know, there was some, there was obviously some static between uh, Bird and McHale at the end. But that's all, that's all water under the bridge. But, you know, there was also sort of this dynamic of all the wives and all the girlfriends and how they got involved. And they could manage that very, very easily then. I don't know how easily you manage it today. Because they talk and they text and they tweet and, you know. Well, we used to sit, my dad's seats were on one side of the tunnel when the players came mm-hmm. in and the wife section was on the other side. So we would see all oh, of them. you watch it all. Yeah. I wrote about it. in my book. I have a whole thing about Parrish's wife trying to vault the, uh, to vault and jump into the tunnel to go after Jake O'Donnell. Oh, there you go. She felt like Jake O'Donnell <laughs> had it in for her husband. She's screaming at him like a maniac. And we thought yeah, she was going to She gonna, was very like, volatile. Jump. She was volatile. But he um, was more volatile, not, yeah, to, he, his, he, not to his credit. That's um, a very darkest part of uh, Robert Parrish's history. Yeah, that wasn't great. Yeah. Um, the uh, so we would see all this different action, you know, and then there would be these random women, like who's that? Is that right. a girlfriend? Who does she go with? Who yeah. is that? Or then the old Staples, like Havlicek's wife, way back. Or, right, she was so. But nice. um, yeah. but yeah, that would be another thing where yeah. So all those things, like I, I you know, I, I think about it all the time because now I, I see those guys still. I see Mikhail and um. And, and Bird from time to time. Of course, Max is on the radio and he's, you know, I mean, Max went into the stands for God's sakes. 81. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Philly guy. And they well, like, think about, it was a lawsuit for like two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the guy said something really bad, I think. Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. But Matt, you know, Max, Max, Max was a little bit of a loose can. He'll be the first to tell you that. He was like, bring it on. I mean, it's like Milbury going into the stands with the Bruins right, with right. a shoe. You know I mean? You hit guy with a shoe. Like that stuff doesn't fly anymore. It was, what's funny about when Maxwell in the stands, it was game six and they were down like 15 and it was like the rallying cry of the oh, game. Yeah. And I was like, man, when Maxwell in the stands, that was <laughs> awesome. Right. Now that would be, they'd yeah. just be showing that or, for three weeks like, straight. Or like, think about, you know, uh, ML Carr crossing the foul line and giving Worthy the yeah. joke sign. Like, I don't know, they'd probably suspend him or something. I don't know. So Bird in the 84 finals does that whole thing. We played like a bunch of sissies, sissies. tonight. Yeah, that was the best. And he throws the thing. And back then we had like the globe. There was early Sports Center, the LA Times. Sports Illustrated's not coming out for right you know, a month. few more days. <laughs> it felt like a month. And the moment came and went, and then it belatedly became a much bigger thing. It was newspaper headlines, that's it. Mm. But now if that happens... Well, and it's funny to talk to guys now. Of course, Ainge was on that team and, and talked to them, and they'd say, oh, it was overblown. I'm like, I don't think it was. Yeah. I don't think so at all. Like, Because now, if, if, like, like if Kyrie Irving said that now, these guys are a bunch of sissies. You know, Jalen Brown would be reporting oh him God. to the union or something. Right. He, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. It's and a I, workplace violation. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it's just, it's a different world. I like the, I like that world a lot more, honestly. The guys were so. We well, used to go to practice. FaceTime with them. Well, we used to go to practice. Yeah. And I used to go really, really early because I was so young and so much a girl, like the only one. And I was like, I, how am I ever going to get a leg up or, or just just have a chance. So I used to just go really, really early before practice. And that's how I got to know Bird. 
Yeah. Because Bird was always there and, and Mikhail was always there. You know, everyone talks about Bird putting up the shots and doing all the work. Mikhail, Mikhail did every bit as much the same thing. He put in every bit as much work. He really did. And so that's how I got to know those guys a little bit, you know, because um, even then, even for those times, Bird was difficult, as I'm sure you remember. It was just hard to get him on your own. It was, you know, you, you, you didn't have a cell phone to text him. Well, even if you did, you'd never have his number. Yeah. So it was, it was, there were, there were ways you, you rode on the bus with them occasionally, not always. You could catch them in the airports too, right? Well, Sometimes. yeah, I remember once we were in Milwaukee going, uh, that's when I, I was only on the, I wasn't on the beat a long time, only like a year and a half. We were stuck in Milwaukee and there's no, it was Midwest Express. Remember the airline yeah. with the free cook, the chocolate chip cookies. And so there was <laughs> no, um, there was no lounge for them to hide in, you know? And so, um, this kid came up to bird. I've told this story before and asked him, you want to play cribbage? He's like, yeah. So they unloaded the cribbage board because then Burke could just play cribbage and put his head down and anyone, no one could come up and bother him. It was like- Right, because he's in the middle of a so game. Like the kid's like, I got to catch my flight. He's like, no, another game. That <laughs> was really funny. But I just remember in that particular that particular day, I was sitting there and Bird, like, I think it was the first time he ever said my name because I didn't really think he knew my name because he yeah. never really, you know, he wasn't like trying to exchange pleasant trees with you too often. But I think he said, Jackie, can I borrow like a pen or something? I was like- I think this is progress, yeah. you know, because just any kind of interaction with those guys, but like guys like DJ and Danny, they were great. I mean, Danny loved to make fun of me. He, they had a lot of fun at my expense. All those guys did. They had quite a bit of fun at my expense, which, but it was good. It was in the perfect frame of it. I never felt like they were ridiculing me. I just felt like they were making me part of things in the best way they knew how, you know? And you had way less people in there too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We were in Richfield, you know, the old Richfield Coliseum. So they're playing the Cavaliers. There's only one hotel. We all stay in the same hotel. Because the other thing I was always worried about was being young. And I guess I was still single, but I mean, I, I've been with my husband almost 40 years. We've been married like 32 of them, just been yeah. here forever. But I always just thought, all right, this is, you know, I have to really be sure, like, I'm not having a drink with somebody in the bar. Like, I was very conscious of that. I just, I don't want to be that. I don't want anyone to ever question whether right but this but when you're in when you were in richfield as you know there was only one place to stay so we were there the players were there we were all there and uh do you remember kelvin upshaw of course okay so kelvin upshaw was a rookie and so the players are all we're we come down first we're we're having drinks or whatever and then they all come down and there's like a disco and like they start playing a disco with a ball and there's music playing and we're all just sitting there and all of a sudden like poor kelvin upshaw comes over and he goes do you want to dance? I'm like, what? It's <laughs> like, no, what? No, I can't dance with you. And he goes, please, Miss Jackie, can you just please dance with me? Because like, they're all over there. And this is like my, like, you got to please, can you just dance with me? Because. Oh, it was a rookie it was hazing like a thing? Rookie hazing oh my God. Thing. So I'm like, Kelvin, man, I, I feel your pain, but like, there's just no way in hell I'm dancing with you. So I'm not dancing with you. Oh my God. That poor kid. Can you imagine if that happened in 2019? Oh no. Yeah, I could but own the, the, I could you, own the Celtics probably. The thing with you though is you're you're a good hang. So you're in this era where Yeah, I don't know. There's not a lot of people and you can actually like forge real relationships with people. Oh, totally. I all, mean, in these, Major all these different ways. Major Goolsby's like I, I the first time I went there, Bill Walton, it was Walton and uh I think Ryan was with me. Yeah. Aileen Voisin, remember that name? So yeah. she she was there and Bird was there. Like and we're I'm like, is this really like happening? We're, having beers with these? Like for me, I just never would have done that on my own. And I still wasn't a hundred percent sure I should have been doing it at all. Really. Right. Cause I was a real 
little, I was a bit of a stickler for that when I was young, maybe not so much now. And that night was like, I just sat there and listened to Bill Walton and just laughed till I cried. The, the, the guy was so damn funny. He was telling stories about taking um, Mikhail to a Grateful Dead concert and getting them all messed up and Mikhail coming home and lying on the floor and his wife Lynn's trying to pick him up. And I mean, <laughs> it was just, it was just, it was surreal. You couldn't Well, you it. had, you were kind of blessed by Bob Ryan because he was oh, the commish. The, the best. So if he said, this is, she's following so, me, you're going to be nice to her, that, that was it. There were three it. people in Boston that did that for me. It started with Bob, it continued with Bird and then Red. Those three guys. Oh, that's Once it. you get them, you're you're good. But Bob was, I can't even tell you. I can't even begin to tell you how great he was to me. How great he is to me still. Yeah. I mean, still, I consider him one of my closest friends. It's hard to say, I mean, how much sway he had back then because when we I basically first, have one fiftieth of the basketball media we have now and he was the most important guy. Every time. And I remember when I first walked into the arena with him and I, I had an inkling that he was going to be leaving and that I might have to take over, you know? And I remember just walking in with him and like, he knew everybody. Yeah. He knew, and he didn't come up to people. They, players, opposing players, all the officials knew him, you know, the the opposing teams, radio, to everybody. Everybody would come up to him and, and just unsolicited, tell him really amazing things. And I thought, how will I ever get there? How do you ever, ever get there? You have that and, many relationships. Right. And and the thing that also that Bob is amazing and I'm really, really bad at it and it just blows me away is he has a photographic memory. He remembers every detail of every game and every moment. And I forget those things, Bill, five seconds after they happen. Yeah. And Bob and I have been some amazing events together. I mean, we've been... For the early Patriots Super Bowls, we were sitting right next to each other for all of those, you know. I don't think he was there in 86 for the World Series, and I don't think he was there when they won either. I, I got to do both of those, too. But he would he would remember everything. Yeah. It's like, remember when Brabel? And I'd be like, no, they won. I don't even remember who they played. I don't have that kind of brain. He does. It's, it's just astounding. When you started covering them, how many women were covering NBA? At that point. There was one. Do you remember Mary Shane from the Worcester Telegram? You probably don't remember her. I don't. She was very, very good. She was a lot older than me. Um, and she was really good and she was no nonsense. And it was really, when you look back on it, kind of odd she was there. Yeah. And the players, they they respected her. And she she died young. And I, I can't remember what she died of, but I was really, I remember I was really shaken by it because uh, she was nice to me, but she didn't, she wasn't flowery. She didn't go out of her way and put her arm around me. And you know, no, she's like, all right, well, here's how it works. And you know, if you have any questions, I'll answer them. But like, I, I just thought the world of her. What about in the NBA as a whole? There weren't many. I mean, Johnette Howard, who just kicked ass and didn't remember her. She's a really good writer. She's yeah. so good. She ended up at the national. Right. Yeah. And then she, she was, she was covering Detroit free press. I think it was. And she, I watched her undress Isaiah once, like Isaiah, she was asking Isaiah something and he was giving her a knife. She's like, look, I don't have time. Like she just, oh, I thought she was so great. And we, we were really good friends. And and it was funny because when we were covering all those teams, I think I've told you this before, but you know, they really didn't like each other. Mikhail and Isaiah got along, but everybody else hated yeah. each other. You know, there's the famous story about Bird getting on the, you know, asking. The Lambier. Yeah, did yeah. he make the all-star team, that famous story. But they really didn't like each other. And, and Mahorn, all those guys- and um, I was, by then I was covering a lot of like national NBA and once in a while having to do the Sunday notes, which was very daunting. And, uh, and everyone's like, well, you know, she's getting all her stuff from the Celtics. But the truth was I was getting it all from the Pistons. You know, I got to know Isaiah and Blam Beer and 
publicly, like they'd put on a show and be like, I don't want freaking women in the locker. And he'd do all that. And then be like, yeah, whatever. And then they'd leave. And then he'd be like, what's going on? I go, you, you first, you know? <laughs> so I, I mean, I learned a lot from those guys, uh, Vinny and not so much Joe, uh, Isaiah Lambeer, uh, Rick Mahorn to this day, I just love them every time I see him. And everyone always thought that my pipeline was Boston. It really wasn't. It was Detroit. And I think if you ask Johnette, I think she had really, really good luck in Boston's locker room. You know? That's fascinating. It I kind know, of is. You, I, you never told me that one. I've never heard oh, that yeah. one. Yeah, those guys. Well, it started because I was I was warming up one day. They were, you know, they used to practice at the garden. So yeah. we're waiting for them to come. And I'm I'm playing a lot at that point. I'm in my 20s. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm playing all the time. And I'm, we're shooting around, waiting for them to come. And I hit a turnaround jump shot, you know, against nobody. Nobody's guarding me. And Isaiah Thomas came in. He goes, hey, do that again. I said, how much you give me? He said, 10 bucks. I said, all right. So I hit it, gave me 10 bucks. That's how it started, you know? And uh, we should mention you played in college. Yeah. You were a good guy. No, you were I good. Was okay. I was you okay. You were good. Yeah, it was fine. You started. Yeah, for a did while. Did you play at UNH? I did, University of New Hampshire. You Basketball started at UNH. Of the world. That's legit. <laughs> no, it was. I was, I played more than I should have early on and didn't play enough late. Let's just say that. <laughs> that's why I always tell everybody. But he, so that's kind of how, where it started. And yeah. you know what I remember about Isaiah? And I've asked him, so I, I've asked him since, so I can now say this to people when, when uh, Irvin got diagnosed with HIV, you know, everybody remembers where they were Yeah, and uh, pretty devastating thing. And I've never seen Larry so devastated. Yeah. That was, that's for real. The first time he, he said it, first time I didn't want to play. Yeah. And uh, I just remember the next week the Pistons came in and I was saying to Isaiah, oh my God, this is like so awful. And he goes, hey, sit down. He said, you know, it's not what everybody thinks. I said, what do you mean? He said, my brother's been HIV positive for years. He's not going to die. It doesn't mean he's going to die. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, don't write that. But, you know, this was 91. 91. Yeah. And he said, no, my brother's been HIV positive for a long time. He, he's going to be all right. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that something? Let's take a break to talk about the most epic cookies of all time. They are here. You might be familiar with the brand, Oreo. This is a Simmons family favorite, to say the least. We actually have to hide them when we buy them from my son because he turns into um, the cookie monster. Cookies are coming. Brace yourself. Oreo, Game of Thrones, limited edition packs are in stores now while supplies last. To whom are you bending the knee? I'm bending my knee right now. Let me see Game of Thrones. Um, well, Arya. I mean, she did kill, she did, she, oh, spoiler alert. That's ah, too late. You probably know now. She did kill the Night King. Kill them. Pulled the switching hands, MJ, in the 1991 finals trick. Go to Oreo.com, pledge your fealty to the house of your choice, and tune into Game of Thrones on Sundays on HBO. And uh, I can't wait to to try these. Simmons family, huge Oreo family. Check it out. Cookies are coming. Brace yourself. What it, What was your Laker pipeline at that point? Were oh. you exchanging with like the reporters there? No, no. That was back in the day when when people would do the notes columns and they would just Not give me. each other the stuff. Never. You never did that? Never. Yeah. And Bob never did either. Yeah. And that's the first thing Bob well, told people me. people took from Bob probably. So when I, you know what's funny? When I went to Sports Illustrated. Yeah. One of the reasons I went there was they wanted to do like a weekly notes column. That's why I went there. Bill Colson hired me. I liked Bill Colson. 
And uh, McCallum was brokered the whole thing, got me a yeah. signing bonus and everything. It really? Just, yeah, awesome. I got bonus. a twenty thousand dollars signing bonus. Wow! I'm very proud of that. It'll never happen again. And um, <laughs> so anyway, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm talking with Bill, and and so the first thing they tell me is, yeah. So every week we have all these writers that um, that just send send in stuff every week for us. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, we got someone in Boston and someone in Atlanta and they'll send you like information from their teams, stuff for you to use. And I'm like, no. Yeah, I don't, I don't do it that, that way. I'm not, that's not happening. And they're like, why not? I go, didn't you hire me? Like, to yeah. do this, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So, You're so honorable. Well, no, but you would do the same thing because you yeah. because for one thing, you know what you could get was better. Well, and also you're competitive. You want your own well, stuff that and the nobody other else thing has. Is, a lot of them were sending you stuff that they didn't have enough balls to write themselves. Right. So why would I do that? But what I didn't think through, and I should have, was if they weren't, if I was going to use the stuff, they weren't going to use them and they weren't going to pay them. And I had a lot of people that were really, really, really unhappy with me. Ooh. Steeple Pet being one. Ooh. Uh, Jeff Denberg, God rest his soul, another. So it's the little they, tidbits, they got a little extra. Well, yeah, they got paid to do that. And so that was, that was not great. But Ryan always told me, you can get your own stuff, do, your, do it your own way. So the Lakers, for me, were, was, it was, that was tough because Riley, I was Boston. He equated me with Boston. And all the way through to Miami and on, he, just, he, he actually even said to me once, I'm sorry, Jackie, every time I look at you, all I can think of is Boston. I just can't really He was so scarred from Boston. Truly. Truly yeah. scarred by it. Like when they and, won in '85, I don't even know how much he enjoyed it. I think it was like well, so like he told, up like he it. said, I, I, if we didn't win, I'm fired. I'm, I'm losing yeah. my job, and he's right, you know. And so I think for him, I was just, I think I probably still am a little bit. We've made some progress through the years here now. In fact, when um, when those people uh, made a play out of the book when the game was ours, they had to play a very, yeah. very, very short-lived play. But I don't care; it existed. So we got invited, obviously, to the premiere. Yeah. Mike and I, my husband and I, and so we walk in and that's kind of a big event. It's kind of fun. And, and we're, we end up sitting next to Pat and Chris Riley. So through the years, Mike has heard my stories. Like this guy's not, you know, this guy doesn't really give me the time of day. And now here we are sitting next to Pat Riley and Mike's, you know, he's couldn't be any more charming Pat to my husband, like unbelievably fantastic to my husband. And he's sitting there and Mike and Mike's looking at his ring. He goes, well, which ring do you have on? And Pat said, oh, I have a, it was one of the Miami rings. And Mike goes, oh, you didn't pull out the Laker ring for this? And he said, well, yeah, kind of a bad story. Mike's like, what do you mean? He said, well, when we made the, when we won the championship in Miami and we're, you know, each, each year we won, we wanted to make the rings really special. So I, I pulled out all my, my Laker rings and I had them all out on the thing. So the designer could look at them. And I'm like, I like this. I don't like this, whatever. And he said, and, you know, we, then they brought me some prototype in these boxes and we had them out. And he said, and then uh, when we picked what we wanted, we just picked up the boxes and we threw them out and I threw out all my Laker rings. Now he's telling my husband this story and I'm like this. I, mean, I can't even get the guy to say hello to me. Oh my God. And I'm like, for real? And he's like, remember Jackie, this is a social event. Like basically like off, this is off the record, you know? So I thought, Oh my God. I said, Mike, you just got like the best story out of Pat Riley I've ever heard. And I went back to looking like no one had written it. So I thought, I just got to find the right time. Yeah. And I'm going to get this. Like it may take me years. You know how this is. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to hold on to it and wait. And uh, instead, our good friend Wright Thompson did that wonderful, wonderful profile. Oh, about Riley. Riley. Yeah, yeah. And it was in there. Oh. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. I hung on to that one for a while. 
You know how I remember your Sports Illustrated run? Ugh, I don't know what I was doing there. <laughs> I didn't belong there. You're responsible for Carl Malone's MVP. I know. You told, you've, you've it's told your fault. I'm all right with it. That I'm was your fault. You started it. It was like March. Everyone was super bored. I did. And you wrote the... It was a very smart piece, by the way. If somebody at the ringer wrote a piece like that, it would have been like, great angle. I love it. Good job. But it was kind of like, hey, Carl Malone's been really good for a long time. Utah's good. Why couldn't he be the MVP? And then everybody was kind of like, she's right. Why can't he be the MVP? And then all of a sudden he was the MVP. <laughs> you think <laughs> and Jordan just destroyed me? him. No. no I think not. that was probably the worst thing that could have happened to him. Sorry. Sorry, Carl. It, all Sorry, that I did was, it was like giving meat to MJ. It was like yeah. giving him red meat to just wave over him. Jordan was like the best to cover of all of them because really? he was so real. Like I look back on it now, like he was so direct. If yeah. He, if he had a problem with you, like, man, he just told you. It, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm not talking to you or I'm turning my back to you or, or going to someone else and ripping you like anonymously in another paper, he'd just come right up to you and say, what the hell was that for? What, what was that about? What did, and he never said one word to me about that, ever. About that Malone thing. About never. the Malone thing? Yeah, never He did. probably was amused. Because it did happen to him with Clyde Drexler, you yeah. know, in 92, yeah. and he handled that one as I well. I think Carmelone, I think Carmelone, I'll never call him the greatest power forward that ever lived, like so many people do. A lot of people still do. But I do think that year he was really exceptional. He was really good. I, he was. Do we think Duncan's a power forward? Yeah. Then he's the greatest he's power forward of yeah, all time. Yeah, he's mine. Yeah. All the way. Because some people would say he's a power forward center hybrid like Mikhail well, was. And it's funny, you know, I was talking to Budenholzer about him the other day for another story I'm working on. And um, he was like, oh, we probably never allowed Tim Duncan to be Tim Duncan because of the way we played. No Like question. we asked him to give up so much. And so just think about that for a minute. As great as he was, how much better he could have been maybe. You know, and it was interesting because we were talking about like what were the greatest, most clutch Tim Duncan moments, and they're all kind of early in the game, you know, yeah. in his career. That doesn't mean he wasn't great all the way through, but his role is just very different. I was trying to figure out. Rasil and I we did a podcast Sunday night, and I was talking about how the best player alive belt is kind of vacant, really, mm -hmm. since this whole LeBron season, which has happened a couple times in NBA history, like. When Jordan retired the second time, right. that lockout season was kind of vacant for a year, and then Shaq took it, um, and that was so fun. Yeah, I, and he should have had, you know, he should have had more. He so he had it for three years, basically. Yeah, and then Duncan took it over, and Duncan won the two straight MVPs, and I think Duncan was the best player in the league from '02 basically through '07. Kobe grabs it for like a year at one point, right. but but can't um, quite hang on. But Duncan. The stats aren't there, and the resume as we be. get further and further away, people are like, "Ah, oh, he wasn't that good. He only averaged twenty two and ten. That's like saying Bill Russell wasn't that good. That's like, the thing. Like but that that's what bothers me. me. Yeah, that's me one too. of the reasons I wrote my book. Right? Because yeah. it's like, look, you know, Duncan it's my was the husband's best favorite player. book. I've written five books, and I'm is like, that true? Yeah. Oh, I got to send him one. Yeah, this oh, is great one. news. I mean, he has it. We have it. No, I got to autograph one though. Oh yeah, that you can do. But Duncan, I think, was the best. He told my son to read it, and he's like, "I think I'll read Mom's books first, Dad, if you don't mind." Yeah, that's. That's what I would do you want think for my he has? kids. No, yes. I don't think my daughter's read any of my books. It's fine. I'm good. I'm not bothered by it at all. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> no, but really I think not. Duncan was the best guy for, I don't know, five, six years, but he only won MVP twice. Right. People seem to think this was the case with Kobe. It was like, well, he only won M one MVP, but he was the best guy that whole time. I was like, no, he wasn't. It's actually no, not he, true. He and you know it's funny. I like the big joke in Boston is like Jason Tatum went and spent the summer with Kobe, and that explains oh everything. Oh my god! I know. You know. So it's like, is that a joke though? 
Oh, no, it really is Every isn't. time That's he takes a 20 footer with a hand in his face, where I'm is like, he in oh, this playoff God. series so far? Postseason. He's had kind of a. I, I'm surprised no one's. Maybe I should write about that. You, you should just. Should I just send you all the text exchanges with my dad? Oh, yeah. Really? Well, he's had a couple games where he's actually played the way we want Tatum to play. And it's like, yeah, that's how you right. go to the basket. Yeah, he's had Some a weird year. Yeah. He's had a weird year. And, and I do understand like the whole idea of having all those guys like, all right, this was great. We did. Now everybody take two steps back. That's just a lot to ask. That's a lot to ask for anybody, for Rozier, for Brown, all of those guys. Now you got to figure it out and, and maybe they have. And maybe that's why they're okay now. I think the young guy stuff started early 90s when you were covering the league when the guys came in and already thought they were something. I don't right. feel like that was the case in the 80s as much. There was still a little, you came in the league, but you still had to kind of prove you were right. good. And in the 90s, people were showing up. They're getting big contracts right away. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I'm good. What are you guys talking yeah. about? And they hadn't done anything yet. And well, then the rookie scale comes in and we kind of figure out how to how to fix it. And we it. did. Yep. But now it seems like we're back, we're heading back to the old way where like Jason Tatum is a rookie, plays well in the playoffs, gets the shoe with the no, no sneaker laces, right. gets to see the LeBron dunk all summer on social media. Well, that was pretty amazing. Though. It was amazing. And he's 20 and he's like, I'm the guy. Yeah. And it's like, all right, dude, you're 20. Um, right. And he was on my podcast. I thought he was like, I had my two kids and Tatum. Those were my three kids. Like that's okay. how much I love them. Yeah. And I still love him, but I'm, I'm, no, mad. No, I'm just mad I mean, at the way he's playing. Yeah. And he's got, he, you know, we haven't seen, we haven't seen the beginning of it. And it, that's why it's just so fascinating to see this summer what they do. Well, he, he's probably getting traded. Well, so yes, I would agree with you because there's- He's the best the, trade piece that's going to be out he there. He is. He is. But it's funny, you know, Jalen Brown has made a nice case for himself, not as a better player. I will never say that. But if you're the Celtics, let's just just play along. Let's play along. Let's say Kyrie stays, okay? And Anthony Davis comes and you lose Tatum and some draft picks and probably Marcus Smart, which will hurt. That's not probably. That's the only way yeah, it works right. unless Al Horford renounces his contract. Right. And who knows what Al's going to do because he's knows? been a little cagey, even though he just told me the other day, I'd play basketball for free. I'm like, why would you ever say that on the eve of free agency? But but you can also say that when you've made like $210 million already. But yeah. I'd play this for free. Al's a genuine guy though. Yeah, yeah. He's a really, he's a really good guy. I wish he, I wish he um, would impose himself a little more. Like when Kyrie was off the rails, it would have been nice. And maybe he did. I asked him point blank. I think he's he said, just a nice guy. That's in-house. But, you know, so maybe he did say something. Who knows? I'll never so. know. We'll never know. All right. Now I've lost my train of thought. No, you had yeah. it with uh, Tatum. With We're Tatum. talking about Tatum, yeah. Tatum versus Brown. Yeah. So so let's just say, so you trade Tatum and you trade Marcus and you take on Anthony Davis and you, and you now you have Kyrie and you still have Gordon Hayward. Jalen Brown, in a lot of ways... I'm not saying he's better, but he maybe he makes a little more sense in terms Why of- Why are you so afraid to say it though? Because, well, because I actually think there there might be a chance that he's better than Tatum. Yeah, but I don't know that yet. But I think Tatum's ceiling is higher, it but is. I don't, that doesn't mean he's going right. to get there. And I think because of because Jalen Brown really does know how to play defense. And he plays elite defense at times. Not all the time, but at times. And Jason Tatum, the one, you know, he gets lost defensively oh, yeah. at, when you go- how, I know that. Like I, my sixth grade travel team knows that, you know, and the Kobe, I like the Kobe detail thing. I'm learning from that. I watched them and I learned and he did one with Kyrie 
And a lot of, most of it, I mean, I, I don't need to know about screening. I was a screener my whole life. I don't need to know how to, know how to yeah. screen a role. But I, but the spacing was very interesting to me. He would talk about Kyrie at the top of the key and how, and it's hard for people to visualize this, but so Kyrie's at the top of the key. He's drawing attention. Then Tatum's in the corner. And then Kobe's like, if Tatum just takes one step this way, it forces the defense to draw out this way. Hmm. And then, then he comes down on another one. He's like, now Tatum's on the weak side. He's like, if Tatum would just, you know, dive in here, it forces this guy to make a decision. And every example he made, it seemed to me like it was like, well, Jason Tatum isn't standing in the right place. Right. You know, I felt and that's that way the offensively. Whole year. Yeah. That's offensively. So we haven't even begun to talk about defensively. You know, he's just, there's almost an indifference there that, I Some guys don't concerning. know how to play without the ball. That's why I love Hayward. What's happened, especially the last five, six weeks. Yeah, he just seems good, like he'd be fun to, story. Yeah. He'd be fun to play with. He would. He's still Doesn't a little totally stiff, need the ball. Though. Like that play the other night where the, someone dumped it off to him. I can't remember now. And he like, there's still an awkwardness about him, um, which I think will subside in time. But he's just such a smart basketball player. Yeah. He, he's the guy that makes the right play almost every time. Where do you stand on Simmons? On Simmons? Ben Simmons. Oh, sorry. I was like, you? What <laughs> <laughs> you saying? I'm um, calling myself in the last name, third person. I don't know. It's been Simmons. done. It's been done. I like Ben Simmons, but it's pretty obvious how it's, you know, it's happening again, isn't it? I think it's fascinating to watch like, these games and they just kind of, it's a little Ben Wallace-ish. Oh, it's not that bad. I'm telling you, when you watch him, he's kind of now... He's just not going to be involved in a big play with four minutes to go. And, and isn't that a shame? Because he, because I really believe he had he has every other ability. I find it impossible to believe that he. I know he's such a good athlete. And then, um, and I talked to Kevin Boyle, his coach from Mount Verde Academy. Um, I was doing a Kyrie story. I mean, this guy Kevin Boyle. I'm going to do a story on him because he's coached everybody, including Ben yeah. Simmons. And he swears to me Ben Simmons could shoot at one time and that something changed and somebody changed his mechanics and it sent him on this spiral that he's on. Because now it's all mental. It's, you know, yeah. people talk about Markel Fultz. This isn't really that much different, really. No. So I think it's fascinating these playoff games where now he's learned how to at least up. try to affect without being able to shoot where two-man game. I'm going to start drifting down. And then right. when the shot comes, I'm going to crash for the offensive rebound. Like he has these little tricks now that yeah. are ways to cover up the fact that he's just he's not smart because he's yeah. a smart player. So I just, I'm not going to give up on him yet, but I mean, that team is funny. Like I can't believe they won that game the other night, last night, I guess it was last night. Yeah, it was last I still night. can't believe they won because Embiid is really hurting. You know, I had spent some time with them last week. He's struggling. He's really, he's not going to be this, right. Is this just who Embiid is going forward? Well, Where I think it's like they, one thing after another. Well, I hope it's Big I, guys, big I, guys, when they have this kind of history in their 20s, good, it's usually not but great. But think about Ilgaskis. Like I always think about Ilgaskis. He was done. He was cooked. It was over. And then it wasn't, you know? But was he wasn't a top five guy though. No, but but it's the same. To me, it can be the same trajectory. So the thing with Simmons, uh, Embiid was- he wanted to prove to everybody, I'm going to I'm gonna be an MVP. I want to be a, a, a defensive player of the year. And I know what I have to do. I got to play a lot of minutes and I got to play every game and I'm going to do that. And the fact that the Sixers allowed that to go on earlier this season is criminal. He shouldn't have played that many minutes. A, he should have, you know, all those load management games that, Ka that Kawhi was sitting out, yeah. those all should have been Embiid's. Oh, like, yeah. Like Kawhi, how could anybody vote for him for MVP? For all I those have some games? Sixer fan people in my life that were going nuts about this. The, well, they why should is he be. playing 38 minutes? Well, in the it's, I think it's fair. I think yeah. it's a fair. And I think going forward, now they know. Now yeah. they know. So I'm not ready to say that this is how it's going to be forever. I think there's a way to manage it. He's, you know, he looked a little heavy to me. I asked him about it. 
You know, he mentioned that he's cut out sugars and he's eating soft foods. He's eating salmon and salads instead of steak and chicken and all the things he would rather eat. He He's aware of what he needs to do. And I think he's willing to do it. He's never seemed in shape to me, even going to those games last year. But I think that's the Shaq thing. The so playoff Sha- games. But Shaq, like Shaq said, some guys can lift and be in workout all you want and they're never going to be salad eaters. And I love that because I'm like that. Like yeah. I've lifted weights my whole life. I've worked out my whole life. I've played basketball with people that I know I'm in better shape than them. Um, but I don't look like a salad eater. I right. never am going to. So maybe he's, I mean, he's not a salad eater. Now, Interesting. should he have lost I more like weight? This, this take, not a salad eater. Yeah. He, should he have lost more this weight? This should be your next yes, book. Have, salad, the salad eaters. <laughs> Are you a salad eater? I, I like salad. I had one this morning. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, you're yeah. not a salad eater. No, I'm not a salad eater. Yeah. I, I have to be. No, like I, like I, when I was at my most fit, when I was like really cranking it, when I was in my twenties, right? probably right before I burst my appendix. I think I was in the best shape of my life and I was lifting, I was doing push-ups, I was doing pull-ups. I was like, but I never had, you yeah. know, I never looked ripped, never. That's why the Giannis stuff, either. Giannis moves to America, he grows three inches and has like the craziest body probably anybody has now. Exactly. And he's, and probably still room to grow. Oh, totally, I, totally. By the time people hear this, that game will have already happened and my, my guess will be that Milwaukee will- come out differently. I don't want to talk about it because it's, we're talking about something that's already happened in the right, future. Right, 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 right. Um, it is interesting though how everybody like bailed on him in Milwaukee. It's funny. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it he'll is be heard ridiculous. from. He's, he's really oh, good. Oh, he's legit. And he's another guy that cares, that puts in the time, that understands what he needs to do. Became a nice passer this year. Yeah. You know, underrated that people didn't talk enough about, I don't think, was the way he saw the, the court. And Bud was telling me he wasn't even sure he was capable of doing that when he first got there. It was his biggest concern. Like, can this guy play the way I want him to play? It was seamless. The, Easy. the whole reporting scene these days. Hard. Would you love to, how would you like to be starting out now? I just so hard. No access. We no, have a couple no of young people that work for us that go to locker rooms and try to do it. And there's, it's hard. you know, 40 people in there and you're getting time. And It's unbelievable. Um, like I'm just, you know what I am? I'm like your classic a-hole now. I'm your classic old school OG a-hole now. Using connections. Well, like, so for instance, in. the Embiid story, I went, I have a great relationship with Embiid. I mean, I went to Cameroon for God's sakes, you know, and met, had dinner with his parents in his childhood home. Yeah. So that should give you a little street cred. And it has. Plus I like him. He likes me. I can challenge him. You know, yeah. he's not, he's not ultra sensitive or anything like he can be at times, but he's for the most part, he's a big boy. He can handle, you know, anything that's coming his way. So I go there and he's hurt. And when guys are hurt, as you know, they're the most ornery son of a guns. Like I've yeah. never met a player that was going through injury stuff that was pleasant. It's impossible. They just, they're, and I get it. I totally get it. Who likes to be hurt? So he was hurt. So I couldn't even like see him to like even connect with him. He, you know, we went to one practice. He wasn't even out there. It was at, it was in Philly at their place. So he was back in the back. I never even saw him. I got, I got up at four thirty in the morning to fly down there before I took the train to Brooklyn. I never even laid eyes on him. And then I get him there and then they're, they're at practice and, and I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm here. And, and they, and his people had told me like, he's not doing anything in the postseason. He's not, he's shutting it down. I'm like, all right, they go, you should try. Cause you, you know, you're different. You know, him. Shut down. All right, fine. So then I finally, you know, I get this far away from him, as close as you and I are. And I'm like, what do you think? He goes, yeah, I'll do it after the game tonight. I'm playing the game. So now I'm like, I'm here three days. And yeah. I haven't really, I've talked to him a little bit, but I'm like, this is unbelievable, you know? So then he finally did play in game four. 
he had that great game. You know, they had the little fight with Dudley and everything yeah. and pushing. And then he just came alive. He was great. So he was in a great mood after the game. And, um, you know, he's, they're bringing him up to the podium because that's how it goes. And I'm standing at his locker and this one guy's just kind of shooting the breeze with him. So I kind of join in. And then the guy who started the conversation was just kind of stand there. And I'm like, screw it, man. <laughs> I got to go for this. So I just started talking to him and he's talking to me and I got my thing on and, and everybody's glaring at me because it's against the rules. I'm like, Hey dudes, you know, it's a doggy dog world all here. <laughs> Take a shot at it. So I talked to him for like six minutes or seven minutes. Actually, I think it was eight minutes, eight minutes and 12 seconds, four days, eight minutes and 12 seconds with a guy I have a great relationship with. And then that's how I, I got my story. Eight minutes and 12 seconds God, over we, four days. It's like, and that's because I flew to Cameroon. <laughs> Cameroon. I had to go all the way to Cameroon. That had to be at zero seconds. Yeah. It's humble. It's hard. It's we really talked, hard. Uh, Russell and I talked a couple weeks ago about, it was right after the Westbrook next question stuff about. Mm, don't like that at all. Well, we were just like, the, my feeling on this is like, we're only doing it this way because it's the way we've always done it. It hasn't evolved or changed in 70 years other than the podium part of it. Yeah, which is, I hate. hate why it. do we, why haven't we all put our brains together and said, let's actually come up with a better way to do this? Because right now, 100% of the people involved in the process hate are it. unhappy all the time and, and truly true. hate the hate everything about it. It's so true. why can't we fix it? Yeah, it's hard. And because, I don't know how we would, but it's just weird that everybody is just resigned to this terrible process that right. all sides hate. Nothing really good comes out of it. And even like the stuff you write, you're relying on on past relationships more than anything. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we fix it. Well, I mean, so TV, as you know, is this incredibly powerful medium. Yeah. And so when I walk into a locker room now, players are saying hello to me that I know I've never spoken to. And so- there's they the saw you sports center yeah, or something. Yeah, or around the horn or whatever. The I jump. couldn't believe that when I started doing Countdown, how much that flipped no, with guys. No, it really makes a difference. It's unbelievable. Like guys the credibility up, from it is, is People insane. come up and hug you. Do you know how easy it is to be on TV? You need to face. Yeah, I know. But it's like this credibility that, uh, right. that comes so, with it. So that's, that's the uneven playing field for print guys who I have great respect for. I'm a print person first. Like yeah. when, when, you know, kids come up to you and they're like, oh man, I love your work. I'm thinking, you don't know my work. You watch me on Around the Horn. And I'm not disparaging Around the Horn. I love yeah. it. I have a blast. It's a great show. Tony's reality is a talented guy, but you know, my work is like, I've been writing my whole life. Right. And it's just, it's, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, it used to just all be organic. You know, practice started. That's not realistic anymore though. No, These guys be. are too famous. Well, and guys and who many. even aren't famous yet feel like they're famous. Right. And there's too many. There's yeah. too many of us. Yep. And, and you know, back, like I said, back then you went to practice early and you got guys or you stayed really late after practice and waited till they come out or, you know. I guess I don't know what I'm looking for because well, I think I the Celtics thing is a good example, right? Nobody really wrote about what was going on. But yet, like when we went to Sloan Conference, which was one of the times it really bubbled up. Every single person covering the league and working the league, right. all they're talking about is what the hell is going on with the Celtics. Right, right. And yet nobody could really write about it and nobody really had the access to write about it. Or if you had the access, you couldn't burn the source who gave you well, the stuff the you big, needed to do. And I, that's like, there's this balance that is just right. so out of whack. I think that's the big problem today too. It's just, you know, again, I have, I have sympathy for uh, staffs that are smaller. So you're not just the beat guy, you're the Sunday notes guy, you're this guy, you're that guy, you're doing all of this. And to your point, you've got to have access. You, you can't burn guys, I guess. But that's my biggest concern. Never mind the access. Like, 
what happened to real reporting? What happened to like taking a deep breath and, and telling a player, you know what? I'm writing this story about you. You're not going to like it. And here's what I'm writing. Talk me out of it. You, you know? did that with, with Jalen Brown. Yeah. I think you're one of the ones that will still be like, look, here's what I see. I talked to a bunch of people. Yeah. I reported this. You're probably not going to be happy. He was mad after that story, right? He's still mad. Yeah. Oh, he's still mad? Well, he's, he's not. I shouldn't say that. That's not fair. He's just not, you know, we, he was very, we had a very good um, back and forth that doesn't exist anymore. I respect that. Why, you know, he's By a By the way, guy. everything you wrote in that story was 100% accurate. Well, you know what and happened? And he's been a different guy since December. Right. But you know what happened with that story? It really wasn't me or the story. It was the reaction to the story. Because it was like, to your point, oh yeah, he does suck. And then talk, oh. you know, talk radio and then the Sunday night shows. And now all of a sudden everybody's ganging up on him. And he's looking at me like, what did you do this for? You know? And I- The power of that is pretty crazy. But the thing, the f irony is- What's wrong with Jalen Brown was the underground Celtic story for four weeks. It was. And your job is to sniff that out and write a good piece about right. it. And, and, to and I thought I was sympathetic to the idea that this kid was thought he was going to be a star. And now all of a sudden he comes back and he can't even, he can't even, you know, get the minutes he needs to, to accomplish what he wants. So I thought I was, I, I always like to have a human element to every story I do. And, and I always tell guys usually what, what I'm going to write, but sometimes they, they're not listening until it's out there. So we'll be fine. I'm not worried about Jalen Or they have two people in their life who's texting the, More than the two. story and More saying, than two. what the hell and, you is know, people this? And people that were in his corner were like, yeah, well, what about Gordon Hayward's numbers? I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll get to that. But like right now, this is, you know, and there was the whole Gordon Hayward undercurrent to me was 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 dangerous, you know? Um, yeah, he's Brad's guy. Yeah, he's Brad. I mean, that's, He's only that's, playing because he's Brad's guy. Yeah, come he's on. That's, guy, that's, that's, that yeah, yeah, I didn't like that. But, but and yet- who am I to tell those players if they in fact felt that way, that their their feelings aren't shouldn't be validated? If they really felt that way, that's a story in itself. You know, the Celtics were like a "This Is Us" season. They were a little all bit. The, all the, but uh, you know, you talk to Danny, who I did the other day, and he's like, "No, we had some, we had some, sure, we had some rough patches. We had a lot of great moments too." And I'm like, "Oh, come on, dude! Like, if they win, if they go to the conference, I, I if they go to even if they go to the conference finals." I just can't even believe what they've been through to get there. It's a movie. It's like a 30 for 30. Danny, <laughs> I mean, he's just in the same mood all the time. Yeah, that's about so right. So the, like, the team bus could be on fire Yeah, and guys could be jumping out of it. And be like, it's fine. Yeah. Mike, we had a bus in 84 that caught yeah. on fire. Like, yeah. it's just, it's I think, his attitude. And I, you know, I think like sometimes you, you get weary of people. I think he's just tired of seeing me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was probably you've been in his life for four decades. Oh, though. for so long, and I'm sure he's just really tired of me. <laughs> the, the Every whole, once in a while, I'll get a text from him. He's like, "What? This isn't even right at all." Right, you know. And I'm like, "All right." You know. What's weird is I feel like the sourcing and the access in some ways is better than ever. Like the ability to DM players and text players. Oh, and, you know why that is and, too? Because all these assistant GMs are trying to get a leg up and they're no dummies. They're plugged into Woj or you or me or whoever they need. I've never like, fallen in the trap. Yeah. Well, I did the only one I did with Daryl, but I didn't help him get the job. But Daryl was the only one I knew like pretty well. Right. On his See, way I, up. I know Daryl really well, but it's funny. You know what's so funny about Daryl? I never think of him this is going to sound so dumb. I never think of him as like the GM of the Rockets. I just I think of him like Daryl at Sloan. Right, right, right. No, <laughs> Daryl, the guy who runs Sloan, who yeah, also has the guy another who job. I, who I was, I was in a curling competition <laughs> with. Right. <laughs> right? And so I probably should utilize my relationship with Daryl yeah, more effectively. He needs you for, for Sloan. Let's take a break. Talk about ZipRecruiter having a high sports IQ. 
Very important. I'd like to think I have a high sports IQ. I know Jackie McMullen does. I know some basketball players too. I'd say there's probably about, I don't know, somewhere between three and 13 in the playoffs right now who have the proper high basketball IQ. Jimmy Butler, secretly high basketball IQ. Right? He has a sense of when things are kind of falling falling the wrong way, steps up. Sign of a high sports IQ. Hey, when it comes to hiring, you don't need a high hiring IQ. You just need ZipRecruiter. Their powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. The tech doesn't just stop there. It even learns what kind of candidates you like and invites more to apply. ZipRecruiter so effective. Four to five employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within their first day. My listeners, guess what? You can still try it for free. The offer is still available. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. The whole source game, protecting people. Yeah, it's hard. I'll get access. I'm too old for that. I just, I mean, I came up in a different way. You know, the whole um, influx of the major talent agencies and representing the players and the journalists. That's another thing. That's, yeah, that's... It's just different world well, and I, I'm not the, in it. What about the whole, we all know what's going on, but we're not going to write this until the trade happens or the summer, like like the Magic Johnson thing. Yeah. I still I don't think people knew. No, but I still haven't read what the hell happened. Oh, right. The, with him leaving the Lakers. Like, yeah. They talk, well, what I, happened? I, we we Everyone is connected to this team. Jeannie Bustle talked to anybody. Yeah. Why won't anybody write what happened? Well, I, th- I mean, I think what happened. You, I think you know what happened. I think- Do magic- I? I'm not yeah, sure do. I do. Irvin wanted to be magic. He didn't want to, he didn't want to be the president of the lake. He wanted, he wanted to get back to being magic where no. everybody loved him. I, yes. I, I don't, well, he I might think have, that's part of it. I don't oh, believe it because it was too abrupt. It was too weird. It was oh, too weird I, that just on a random day he goes into work and doesn't tell GD Bus. So you think and, he's got a little dirt in there? Some little it's something happened. Something. No, that's interesting. I think there's some impetus. Yeah. But I do think what you're saying is true. Like this idea that everything, all these things that everybody knows but nobody says or writes. And you know, I get in trouble all the time for this because like so I was at the Laker game and it was uh I met Snoop Dogg that night. It was like a oh, big wow. night for me. Snoop Dogg and Jack Nicholson, who I had met before, but wow. actually got to talk with. Amazing. Amazing. He's still going to Lakers. It, it, it is. And I was like, I was like, I'm not going to talk to him about The Shining. Too obvious. So I started talking about The Pledge, which Smart. like, did you, did you ever see that movie? The Swerve. Pledge? You swerved him. Yeah. I did. It's like the darkest movie ever. I saw one. I had a, I remember I had a, a foot surgery and I was home and I like rented it and I watched it and I was like, this movie is so freaking That was your disturbing. opener with Jack Nicholson, The Pledge? I did because that I figured, bold. Who, who has ever asked him? And it was the worst idea because he's like- Oh man, that movie. Oh God, that movie. Cause I probably didn't do well at all. Yeah, yeah. And I go, no, that movie. I said, I was up all night. He goes, ah oh, man, that movie did not do well. That was not a good movie. I said, yes, it was. It was a really good movie. He goes, I said, the problem is it was too dark. He goes, I know, but we had to stick the, you know, the guy there, whoever the author of the book is, we had to stick exactly to that. Ah oh, man, I can't believe you brought up that movie. It was it's like, like bringing up the 83 season yeah. of Bird. <laughs> I love like, the 83 season. What? <laughs> Like really, I got a big kick out of it anyway. But all that night, so I'm sitting there, and right after Snoop Dogg, I'm sitting there, and uh, Rich Paul comes over. Uh-oh. I'm talking to Rich Paul for a while, and then I'm talking to somebody else came over, and then somebody else came over, and I talked to like six people that night. They were all sort of related to the Lakers in some way, and they all saw me talking to Rich Paul, and you know, a couple of them were like, "Well, you know that he wants Luke Walton gone, and blah blah blah," and all this stuff was going on. I'm like. Well, this is really weird. So I started asking around and everyone's like, oh yeah, well, we all know that, you know, 
LeBron and those people, they want him gone. I'm like, we do? Because like, I hadn't seen that. I knew that just from being over here okay, 20 but minutes from the Staples never, Center. I never heard anybody say it. I never heard anybody write it. So I spent the next couple of days just sort of poking around. And then I got on our pod and I said, you know, to Brian Windhorst, who knows a lot about LeBron. The oh, Lakers, yeah. And I said, is it safe to say that those guys want Luke out of here? And he goes, I think that's fair to say. You know, And that, that was all I said. And that thing- 17 just, blog headlines. The just next, like blew yeah. up. Yeah. And I'm thinking- why is this blowing up when everybody already knew it? Why? Why? Because it's it's aggregate, right? It'll probably happen again. Whereas we're talking. About it now. I was trying to think every time I do a podcast with anyone, I always try to figure out what would be the weird headline that blows up. Let me you ask. just never. Well, know. That one's an old one, so whatever, it can't be now. Whatever get yeah. traffic. Yeah, I still don't know. I don't think LeBron's a hard guy to figure out when he's no. behind somebody. He's very open about it, and when he's not behind somebody. He's suspiciously not open about it, right? And and I guess at when no you're one of the best players in the in... game, you have you have you should use your cachet. I mean, yeah, you know, like Bird was never he liked Jimmy Rogers so much. They were assist, you know. I mean, now we're going way way back, but he thought the world of Jimmy Rogers as an assistant coach. But you were there, like he did not want Jimmy Rogers to be the coach of the Celtics because he wasn't handling it well, and he couldn't hide it. They the good one, the great ones can't. Yeah, they just can't. The to- intolerance for people that they feel yeah, like. And sometimes it's not because that like, it wasn't because Jimmy Rogers w- didn't know what he was doing. That wasn't right. it. Who knows, you know. By the way, you want to talk about load management. KC Jones, the year after the Celtics won the 86 title, you should go back at those box scores. Oh, God. Bird playing like 45 yeah. minutes on a back-to-back. I mean, Bird, McHale, all those dudes. Yeah, if we had all bad. the stuff we had now, I think everybody's playing for 20 years. For sure. I feel and like you know, everybody's going to- They told him. The space in your foot's getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, and the crack played, is growing. He just like, played anyway. Unbelievable. Nuts. But they all did. Parrish did too. Just a little quieter. They all had stuff. Do you think LeBron wins another title in our lifetime? Wow, that's a good question. Because I would say no. Probably not. You know, I mean, there was some, there was a little chink in the armor this year. Yeah. Um. He's getting older, you know. Father time's undefeated, right? Unless it's Tom Brady. Unless it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady is, who's the vampire in Twilight, Edward? Right. He's like a thousand years old. He is. That's Tom Brady. But Tom Brady he's also- is a vampire. And he changed, but he the thing I love about Tom Brady is he changed everything. Yeah. He changed everything to, to make this happen. Has I mean, and LeBron, look, he takes care of his body, obviously. He works out all the time. You know, there's a lot to admire about the way LeBron approaches his craft. But this Anthony Davis thing just blew up in ways that, I mean, do you honestly believe that they'll trade Anthony Davis to the Lakers? Because I don't think it'll ever happen. I think it's probably like. Well, they also have like probably the fourth best trade package. Right. But even if they, even if they didn't, like, even if they had all the assets, I just don't think it'll ever happen. Like, I don't think think so either. It just got blown up in ways. The bigger question to me is who plays with them and they're going to end up like having to roll the dice with. So, you know, though, I mean, so let's go through the, you know, the usual stuff. Go through the names. I mean, Durant's not going there. Um, I don't think Clay Thompson is going anywhere. No way. So is it Kemba Walker? Is it Kyrie Irving? I, that if Kyrie went Can there, you imagine that would be if Kyrie Irving hilarious went to LA? and ridiculous. If Kyrie Irving went to play for LeBron. 
I mean, celebrity couples get back together after they no, broke they, up. No, they're Stranger there. Things I'll tell you, happened. he every time I talk to Kyrie, he says another nice thing about LeBron. Like that that feud for whatever reason, or you don't. I don't. I don't know if you can really even. It wasn't a feud. You can't have a feud with someone that you never really well, they tried actually to trade had him, and Kyrie blamed him. Right. Right. But to this day, I'm still not sure, 100% sure LeBron really did that. I really think that was Griff saying, you know what, the, the GM Griff saying, I think this kid's going to want to leave. It's my job to find out what I can get for him if, if, if he does, if he wants to go. The one thing we know for sure happened was there was a world in which Kyrie, Paul George, and LeBron run the 2017-18 Cavaliers. And they yeah. went to him and they said, if we do this Paul George trade and we trade this draft pick... Will you stay? Will you stay? Will you sign an extension? He said, no. That's right. So that's on him. That's, that's on, on him. him. And I think Kyrie really did chafe. I mean, we, all the things that, you know, he said, he he really believed that LeBron wanted him out. I'm not 100% sure that was the case. I'm really not. But it doesn't matter. It's kind of like, like, did, um, did, my, did, did Isaiah and all those guys really freeze Michael Jordan out? All that matters is that Michael Jordan 100% Felt like they did. You know, the tape didn't really back it up. It doesn't at all. It's a, it's really a strange no, one. I don't understand where that one came from. But it, it once Jordan made up his mind, it was true. Yeah. It almost doesn't matter whether it's true or not. I felt like that always had to do more with the Isaiah growing up in Chicago. And that Maybe. was a turf type thing more than anything like that yeah. Jordan wanted that to be his city. He needed a reason to hate Isaiah. Right. And you know what? Isaiah was an easy target. He always was an easy target because he- Always. You know, and he's really- He's not remembered properly in the, in the realm of history for how great he that was. That was one of the highlights of my career. We did the Bad Boys Pistons thing. Yeah. And we were doing the post-game show. Mm -hmm. So he was on it, but he had never seen the doc. So we had to watch the whole show and then we did a live post-game show. Well, that's cool. And we're watching the doc with him, me and Jalen. And he's crying like three, yeah. four different times. It was like so emotional for those guys because they felt like- you know, they cared so much about that team. They were just kicked under the rug. You guys ruined basketball. You're not Jordan. You're not right. Magic. You're not Bird. Still happening. They never got their due. They still, it's this, still happening. And he's watching this doc and he's like, oh my God, we're getting our due. Right. And right. it was like this, it was just as crazy to be in the room with him for that. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I mean, he's he been hugged through. me he's... and Jalen after he started crying again. He's like, thank you so yeah. much. Like, Well, think about that guy, like yeah. you know, what he did. And look, he made a lot of mistakes too. A lot. You know, I mean, so we, we don't have to get into all that. But but to me, this this feels a little bit like that with Kyrie. Like whatever the truth was, it almost didn't matter because Kyrie had made up his mind that LeBron was behind it. And that that's all that mattered. And so I'm out. And now maybe over time he's he's revisited it, he's looked at it and decided maybe it wasn't exactly quite the way he thought. And he also realized how hard it is to run a team, to be a leader. It's like it's not for everyone. And the difference between LeBron and Kyrie is that LeBron's an extrovert and Kyrie's an introvert. He uh God, he <laughs> some of the interviews he gave. Kyrie? It's like, what are you doing? He's a stream of how consciousness How many times guy. can you talk about how you were in the finals? And yeah. like, he, he just, I don't think he saw the cause and effect. No, he didn't at all. And he doesn't understand at all young people and just anything. Right. Um, but, but I boy, think he, he figured it out player. now. He is such a brilliant basketball player. I actually player. think he's a genius as a basketball player. I think some of the so stuff he does is it's really like funny. a genius he's, level. I'm going to tell you this. This is really funny. I have a story coming out in a couple of days when in, Kyrie, in, in it, Kyrie Irving says, I'm a genius at basketball. I think he might be. No, I agree. Durant thinks that. I've talked to no. Durant well, about that. Well, they're really that. tight, like, too. Yeah, but he, really he was saying that years ago. He was like, that guy is a genius. Like, he studies the game. Works on the moves he works yeah. on. Like nothing you, you see him do is by accident or nothing you see him do 
he hasn't tried before and accomplished before. See, this Celtics team, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're sucking me back in because oh, you just so feel compelling. like if they can just keep their shit together for six weeks and they're in these games, no matter what arena they're in, if you have that dude in the last four minutes, he can actually score baskets. And there's oh, no, only there's five no guys in the league like this or six or whatever. The no, there's no doubt he can. But, but he has to be careful about, like when they start to lose their grip and and, and it's like rote uh, memory, he starts thinking, oh no, they're falling apart. I got to take it over. And I wish he would just wait a little bit. Yeah. Like just wait a couple of possessions. Like when they, uh, when, when it gets to the end of the game and starts getting tight, I'll be sitting with Mike and my, I'll be like, one, two, three. He's like, are you doing that again? Because oh, I'm counting the passes. Yeah. Because if they have more than two passes, they're going to get a basket. And guys are moving. And, and and half the time it's zero. Just do it. It's a little exercise. Have fun with you. Have fun with it in the if, final minutes. If it's just four guys playing standing like statues. Forget it. They can't do it. I don't care how God. good you are. It doesn't work. It worked. It kind of works for the Rockets a little bit, but ultimately I don't know if it gets them there either. It's tough because at some point the threes have to go in. If you're relying on the threes like that. Mm -hmm. And the thing with those is it becomes fool's gold a little bit where when they're not going in and it's a big moment, it feels cataclysmic. Well, that's and we felt it in the Celtics Cavs game seven. We felt yeah. it in that Rockets thing where it's like, oh my God, they're not going in. What now? Right. And the only thing you can do is keep shooting them. But And that, that's what happens to Boston. That's why when Boston can look as good as they did in this game one, they can look equally as bad when they don't shoot the ball well. Everything falls apart for them. They they have trouble handling adversity when things go really bad. That's the one thing this team has not proven to me yet. So I don't know. People keep asking me, what are they going to do? I'm like, I really don't know. And I don't even really want to predict. <laughs> it's why Philly's intriguing, even though I you could have also told me they were going to get swept, where right. they they scored their baskets and in that game too in a bunch of ways. And then Embiid made, I thought, the best play of his career. Right. That big when basket that underneath salvage, the basket. That double yep. spin move on yeah. Gasol. And it was like, whoa, all right. Yeah, he's awesome. I just, it's too bad he's not healthy. I just, it would be really fun to see if he was at 100%. Yeah. And Jimmy Butler, Joel told me when I was there, he said, look, he's the closer. I'm good with it. He said, you know how it is at the end of games. It's hard to get big men the ball. Jimmy Butler, I'll do my thing. And then at the end of the game, because remember that other, you found Jimmy on the three-point line? Yeah. He's like, I'm I'm totally fine with Jimmy Butler being the closer. And I laugh because, you know, when, when Jimmy first got there, remember when he's like, oh, I'm the spacer. I don't like what this is doing yeah. to me. And now, now, like, those guys are thick as thieves. That, that works. They're good. I would find Embiid a million dollars per three that he takes in the last four minutes of a playoff game. Yeah. Just like, it's a million dollars every time. You're just not allowed. <laughs> just not allowed. It's a million dollar fine each time. I used to feel that way about every single Celtics player when Brad Stevens first got there. I was like, <laughs> what are choice. you doing? Like, remember Jared Sollinger? I'm like, stop it already. Good God. Young Jackie, age 15. Yeah. So you're just shooting threes in never the corner? Shot, never shot a three-pointer in my life. I know, but now, if you were no. in 2019, no. you're still trying to play real basketball? Yeah, I still want to get in the post and like hit you with my elbow and get three offensive fouls in a game. We're just going to raise blocks. a generation of three-pointer, three-point yeah, shooters. Are. That's going to be the new inefficiency is going to be know, somebody who awful. can go down. They didn't have the three-point line when I played. Didn't have it. That's how old I am. Yeah. So, and, uh, and, that, and they didn't have the women's ball when I played either. Like the first summer I played in a, a women's league and I got the ball and I'm like, whoa, I felt like I could almost palm it. It was so great. I'm like, I'm going to get a thousand rebounds with this ball. Of course, I still got tired, so that didn't change. <laughs> Who's your women's basketball player goat? Tarasi? 
Yes, but it should have been Cheryl Miller if she'd stayed healthy. Cheryl Miller was one of the most incredible basketball well, players. Well, she has no ever league seen. to play it. Right. Yeah. It's just too bad, though. She was incredible and yeah. she hadn't gotten hurt. But Tarasi, what she's done everywhere on every level and just like she's the one that's like, I loved it when Gino said that one year. They're like, well, why are you, why are you so sure you guys are going? Because we have Diana Taurasi and you don't. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. But there's there's a bunch of great players coming along. There'll be some. seems like there. every year there's some new awesome player that comes into I mean, somewhere. You're like Maya Moore, you thought maybe it would be her, but she just never had the mental tenacity that like Diana Taurasi is Gino Arama. They're the same person. Most incredible thing I ever saw in my life was at the Olympics in London. Yeah. They won the gold medal. And Gino had one of his migraines, didn't even come out post-game, didn't even come out. And, and, and Diana's sitting there and they've won the gold medal, you know, again, right? Yeah. And they're asking her, what does it mean to you? And she starts talking about how, yeah, you know, he's, I know he's an ass. I know he drives you all crazy. And, you know, I know he can be really tough, but like, you know, I, I've told him things I, I never told my parents. And she's just talking and the tears are just streaming down her face. And I was like, this is the most, what a shame. Like, that's what makes me mad about the women's game. Like, everybody should have been writing about that. That should have been national. Like, she's just sitting there streaming, talking like, you know, her voice isn't breaking, but just the emotion, just tears streaming down her face. I thought, this wow, this is an incredible moment. I think this decade it flipped, though. I've noticed it with the Ringer staff. I think the under 30 generation. Respect the women's game. They completely respect it. I mean, I will fully admit, I've made my share of WNBA jokes over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have noticed, and I, by the way, I really liked the Friday night, those two final four games. Yeah, they were I great. think that's always like a really fun night of basketball. But, um, and they were good. And you know, what's great about the women's game is it isn't just UConn, right? It's, it's Baylor, it's Notre Dame. And for a while it was, there was South Carolina, you know, you feel like Louisville could maybe do it. Now that coach has stayed there and yeah. he, they everybody thought he was going to go to Tennessee and, you know, maybe Tennessee is revived with the new coach and. That's the that's problem. They, they'll never, the WNBA part, I just don't know how they figured that out. Well, when, they, they can't play in the summer. They just got to swallow hard and, and put on their big girl pants and play all winter like the men do. That's what I think. They have to do that and they have to stop playing in NBA arenas and these places where when you go, you just kind of feel sad. Right. It right. should be, they should be targeting like these, you know, make it a supply and demand thing where, where it's like, these are the best players in the world. There's 2,500 seats. It's it's basically a sport for TV, yeah. and these gyms are going to be packed, and we're playing during the winter, and this is just how it goes. Yeah, we're playing the player in the college arenas where you can maybe get fifty nine hundred, you know, because I think they could do that. I think that could support maybe, that. but they should be playing at like my my Holy Cross gym, like places right. like that, where sure. it's like you yeah. want the you want it packed, you want a real atmosphere. You're not getting atmosphere in the freaking Staples Center, like it's right. idiotic. Well, and you know, it's funny. You go back to look at the 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 history of the WNBA, and you know, the New York Liberty on opening night, the place is banged out. Like go back and look at those clips. And yeah, it, it just wasn't sustainable. No. Yeah, it's too. No, bad. I agree with you that it, especially with how many people need content now. Yeah, I think do it during the actual season. Try to strategically pick some some days where you know the NBA is a little late. Right. And there's so many people looking for content now. I actually think it would work. So anyway, hope so. Um, Jackie Mack, always a pleasure. That was fun. I'm excited to read your story that you're being secretive about. I'm not being secretive about it. It's you just don't want to step on it. Hey, well, you're saving it for Brian. Yeah, Windhorst. I mean, I got you know, I'm, uh, the paycheck. Your company respect lady. The pay- respect the paycheck, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to read it. Thanks yeah, for coming on. This is a pleasure. You know a lot of it already, but you'll. It's more Kyrie babbling. Well, I'm excited that somebody actually is going to put this in print. Yeah, Kyrie babbling. There's some Kyrie babbling going on. Great. It's good. I look forward to it. All, All right, right. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, let's let's take a break to talk about two of my favorites, two old OGs 
on the BS podcast, Squarespace, turn your dream into a reality with Squarespace to make it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're looking to start a new business, showcase your work, publish content, sell products, and more. Squarespace is the tool for you. Beautiful templates created by world-class designers and the ability to customize just about anything with a few clicks. You can easily make a beautiful website yourself. Even Joe House did this. I mean, that's how easy it is to create a beautiful website. Joe House did it. The guy can barely order food. Squarespace's powerful e-commerce functionality lets you sell anything online. Analytics help you grow your site in real time. Everything optimized for mobile right out of the box. Nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Buying domain simple. You'll get the help you need with Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support. Squarespace empowers millions of people from designers to lawyers even restaurants and gyms. To turn great ideas into something real, head to squarespace.com slash BS for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code BS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, squarespace.com slash BS, offer code BS. And speaking of Hall of Famers for this podcast, we're also brought to you by Simply Safe Home Security. Before you guys start giving me crap saying I like Simply Safe because they're from Boston. Not true. I like Simply Safe because they have a great security system, awesome protection, easy to use, and they're from Boston. Simply Safe got started after Harvard engineers' friends got blur- burglarized when they went to get a security system. It was a hassle, too complicated, too expensive, terrible contracts. And this guy said, Voila, I'm building something better. I'm building a comprehensive, easy to use protection, no contracts, fair prices, something that will keep your family and home safe 24 7. For only $14.99 a month, better yet, engineered to keep working during power outages, down Wi-Fi, or if a burglar smashes your keypad, thoughtfully designed, never in your way, protects against fires, carbon monoxide, water damage, freezing pipes. Go with the only home security I trust, Simply Safe, by going to simplysafe.com slash BS today. Simply Safe, two eyes, simplysafe.com slash BS. Back to the pod. All right, this is an old teammate of mine from way, way back then, another lifetime. Uh, he is now at the MLB Network and he is on DAZN. He will be calling the big fight this weekend. Canelo, Jacobs, it's happening. There's always a great fight first weekend in May. Why is that, Brian Kenny? Why do we always put one big fight on the first weekend in May? Cinco de Mayo has become a thing. Just like, uh, I think it kind of just meshed into when they think uh, a fight can be sold. You know, just like they think, you, you know how the calendar works. Yeah. It also works for like Mexican Independence Day, so that helps, you know, because fans will come into Vegas or L.A. Um, but you know, there's always that thought of remember the big fights were September, then November, never at Christmas. No some science to it. Some like uh, what we think people uh, or when we think people will be able to watch a fight. It's weird because you know, on the one hand. I kind of hate that we waste so much good sports on the same weekend, but on the other hand, I'm kind of used to it because that's become like a signature weekend. And I don't remember when it started, but you know, you have sometimes there's game sevens. I think the Kentucky Derby that's this weekend, right? Don't we have that this weekend too? I think so. You yeah. got me. It usually is. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like horses, boxing, NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, baseball's going. Uh, it's always great, but this boxing. Canelo, who I actually went to the uh, the fight when he lost to when he lost to uh, Mayweather, and mm-hmm. at the time I was like, you know what, 
I think he's good, but I also think he's a little bit of a little hyped, a little, I'm not, I'm not sure what the ceiling is for him. I think he kind of is what he is. And then as his career developed the next couple of years, that ceiling raised and he's one of my favorite guys to watch now. And I think he's really developed as a fighter. Actually, I think they're sequencing to his punches now. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not sure he was doing when he was younger, which makes sense because you're supposed to get smarter as you get older. But I just, I wasn't sure it was going to happen. What's the biggest surprise with you with how he's developed as a fighter? Well, yeah, it's a lot of subtle things, but I think it's almost like you could look at it like, uh, you know, like we do sabermetrically to a baseball player. Um, in that he was really good when he was young. And you have to judge a guy differently when he's 21, 22 uh, on the way up. And remember, I think most everyone thought he was uh, he was a little early in asking for Floyd. Right? Yeah. You know, Floyd, Floyd, could, Floyd was, is the most difficult guy to hit in the sport. And he's the one guy that can just make you look bad. And uh, my thought, too, was that Canelo was not quite ready for this. To his credit, he wanted him right then and there. He could have waited. You know, the Floyd way would have been to wait another year or two. You know, let him get a little older. But Canelo didn't want to do that. So I, I think he has just gotten better. Uh, but with the opposition, he's faced difficult boxers before. Austin Trout, Arislandi Lara. Then he goes after Golovkin. Uh, so you have to give him credit for going after the quality of opposition, having some close fights. Uh, what impressed me the most about the Mayweather fight is he didn't end up like, you know, Chico Corrales or Ricky Hatton, where, you know, it's reasonably close, but as the fight wears on, Floyd starts pot-shotting you, you're tired of missing him, and right. then Floyd can embarrass you and knock you out. That did not happen to Canelo, and that's what stood out to me. I thought, wow, he could have gone away, he's frustrated, he's tired, but he stayed mentally in that fight to the very end. That impressed me. And he's he's uh, he's fighting middleweight here. Jacobs, there is a size difference. And I, people always go back and forth on whether this means anything with the size difference. Wait, does the side, do you even look at that stuff as you, as you break down fights like this? Oh, yeah. If a guy is a full frame bigger, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, kind of like Amir Khan fighting bigger guys, like Amir Khan, you know, moving up in weight and, and fighting bigger guys. And you're like, wait a second. Or just like Mikey Garcia, you know, you know, moving up. And, and, you know, fighting the welterweight champion of the world. It's like, yeah, you know, you, you think, oh, he can fight this guy. Yeah, but you're forgetting that maybe their skill is even, but one guy's two weight classes bigger. It makes a, a big difference. In this case, I don't think it will. I think Canelo gets big. Canelo was, was, a, was a super middleweight against Rocky Fielding in the last fight, and he yeah. had a buzzsaw. So I'm not looking at it like Danny Jacobs, you know, and I've called fights with Danny, you know, when I was doing PBC on Fox. And, uh, you know, he's a slight guy. He's not the thickest guy. So, yeah, he's, he's a little bigger, but he's not like some big uh, light heavyweight type guy. He looks like a middleweight. He has a middleweight build. Canelo is a full-size middleweight. How would you rank these titles? The Inter International Boxing Federation World Middleweight title, the World Boxing Association Super World Middleweight title, and the World Boxing <laughs> Council World Middleweight title. Give me your power rankings from three to one, your favorites, your personal. Oh, 
it, it depends from, <laughs> from weight to weight. You know, I mean, you know, we've been doing this, I've been following this since like the, the 70s, you know, with, with Matthew Saad Muhammad, you know, like when it was just WBA and WBC. Right. And I love that. It, it, it makes you crazy. Yeah, that, it makes you crazy. But you always have to look, all right, who's the real champ? And here it is. Canelo's the real champ. I'm even on the on the DAZN broadcast. I'm not going to be calling it a unification. I'll avoid it at all costs. And I, I want to spell it out. Daniel Jacobs is a top contender. He's worthy of this shot. Everyone's excited about it because they know he's legit. However, you know, his title is not the same as Canelo. You know, Canelo beat the man who beat the man and then beat, you know, Golovkin. Yeah. And no matter how you think it panned out, he's the champ. And no, I'm, uh, I go back to... You know, we all know Bernard Hopkins was the champ. We all know Roy Jones was the champ. Floyd Mayweather was the champ. So anybody walking around with another belt that fought them, it's not a unification. <laughs> you know, and I think fans have to you know, want to recognize that. And we did fights this weekend, Bill, where I had to say, hey, both these guys have belts. You know, Danny Roman and uh, TJ Dahani. It was a great fight at 122 pounds. Uh, one had a WBA. The other had an IBF. But maybe they're not the best guys in the weight class at all. However, they were you know, legit titleists. And by squaring off, the winner has two belts and he has more of a mandate walking around that weight class. So in some weight classes, it's not clear who the best guy is, but here it is at 160 pounds. It's clear. It's Canelo. It would be hilarious if the NBA worked this way, where like we had a Portland Golden State Western finals and Dame Lillard was the IBF point guard belt. And Steph Curry had the WBA and WBC point guard belts. There was just, nobody could agree on who was the best guy. But I do think, you know, one of the things I like about using the belt analogy and the thing that matters is really just who's the guy. And we all kind of know who the guy is. And that's what we have now in basketball where Harden and Giannis, it was back and forth between them. Who's going to win the MVP? Harden was unbelievable. But now we're in the playoffs and Durant's kind of the guy. And you're going to have to beat Durant to win the title this year. He's the guy. And I think boxing in a weird roundabout way has always worked like that. No matter who had what belt, you still kind of always knew who the guy was. Don't you agree? Yeah. Well, sometimes, but it takes a while and it's difficult. And I really wish, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish you just had the one belt. Yeah. When you have one belt or one champion, like, you know, like who the champ is, you know, like Floyd was for a while. And again, uh, Roy Jones, Bernard Hopkins, uh, Lennox Lewis, even like once he beat Holyfield, like we have one champion. It brings focus to the entire division. And I think everybody makes more money. You know, I know that's you know, a good point. Acting in your own. Yeah. I think everybody, once you know who the guy is, then like number two versus number three means a lot. You know, it's not like that's some chump fight. No, no. If you're top 10, top two, top 10 guys are fighting each other. It means something. So I think it hurts boxing in the marketplace when you don't quite know who the champ is. And that's happening a lot now because we do have like these separate promoters and entities that are there. And there's a natural tendency for most places anyway to protect their guy. So you think it hurts boxing? Oh, I don't think there's any question. I mean, it, t- it takes, I mean, it takes a lot for Canelo to be recognized as the middleweight champ. That's why I'm careful to not go unification. And and I, I've been saying this all the way back to when I was talking to Sharmbay Mitchell, you know, or talking to Zab Judah, you know, like they say, Hey man, you're acting like I've, I've got some paper belt. And I'm like, no, no, no. 
I said, but this guy is the champ. If it was Floyd, if it was Miguel Cotto, if it was Shane Mosley, I was like, I know you have a belt. All due respect, it's not the world championship. And I don't disrespect guys. I, I talk about guys who have the belts and what belts are at stake when we call the zone fights because there's lots of title fights. But it's different when you say, like, just like we had this week, we had the super flyweight championship. Yeah. You know, it was Juan Francisco Estrada beating, you know, Srisaket Sor Rungbisai. I know they're not household <laughs> names, but Sor Rungbisai beat Chocolatito, you know, who was number one pound. Yeah. Pound. So it, it, it's really cool when you can say, hey, I don't, I know you probably don't know who this guy from Thailand is, but he's the champion of the world. Like that, and now Juan Francisco Estrada is the champion of the world. That, after a while, I think resonates and makes everything more marketable. Yeah, I see your point. I guess the point I was trying to make was we're almost in a in a post belt society for boxing where this has been mm. broken for so long that I stopped being bothered by it twenty years ago. You know, this, this got yeah. this started to get really super wonky. Whenever when did the IBF really start to come into? It was it sometime in the late eighties? Well, all of a sudden the yeah, IBF showed up at the third belt, yeah, and. And everyone was just confused constantly and every fight was for a belt and there it had to shake out a little bit. And eventually we all kind of looked at each other and you, no matter who had what belt, there was always like one guy. And <laughs> right, so right. The, the onus was almost on us to figure it out. And I'm kind of just <laughs> used to it now. It doesn't even bother me anymore. I mean, right. Well, you, we, again, you're a hardcore fan. I'm thinking like the general fan. True. But, the, but wondering. We've, we've lost it. It's a post-apocalyptic society. It's it's done. It's over. <laughs> we're, we're just wandering around like boxing you, zombies you now. Could, It'll right, never come I back. Like that. The, the only chance uh, we have. Uh, so this Trump presidency, you know, out of, out of all the wacky things he does day to day, week to week. But if he actually got committed to the idea of a sports czar. And appointed a sports star and really empowered this person. One of the first things that person would do is try to fix boxing, right? And just be like, hey, we're settling this now. There's one belt. This is the only belt that matters. And then that would actually work. But I feel like until that happens, we're, this will just never be fixed. We'll die and this will be the same, you know? Yeah, you're probably right. And maybe, you know, we are, you're right. It's a good way of putting it. I might use that this weekend. It's a post-belt. Um, post-apocalyptic belt sport. Right. And. Uh, but, but then it becomes like, how big of a celebrity are you and how often do you fight? You know, just like if you're, do you like Errol Spence or do you like Bud Crawford? Um, you know, hopefully that percolates enough and the guys stay in the weight class where you get a great fight. Cause there's no question when you get a big fight, it helps the whole sport. You know, when yeah. if we ever get, you know, Anthony Joshua against Wilder or Fury, like how about any, any version of those, it would be so big because you know, you just would know who the heavyweight champion is. That still matters. That still resonates. Yeah, and I think Lomachenko has gotten to that point now where I don't even know what, what belts he's holding these days, but I know he's going to be holding them for a while and he's going to destroy everyone in his path and he's just the guy. And at some point, he's going to probably have to move up. I don't know. How many pounds do you think he could put on realistically? Um. I don't think he could get to welterweight realistically against the top guys. So maybe, maybe he's 140. He tops out. He's not a big guy. Yeah, I don't think um, I, I agree with that. What's what's your biggest? That guy really shouldn't have put on that extra nine pounds to climb into that next weight class uh, tra boxing tragedy. Mine is when Roy Jones Jr. started fighting heavyweight. 
It was just too big. Come on, oh, Roy but, Jones but, Jr. Oh yeah, but 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 it was exciting for a, a while. I, I know, it? but it, but I also <laughs> think it was you know you just you're meant to fight relatively around the weight class uh, you were meant to be in. That was crazy. I mean, he was fighting dudes that well, were yeah. thirty pounds, forty pounds heavier than him. Right, and he never really capitalized on it. But it was no. thrilling to see the best guy in the world go up against John Ruiz, who at the time was actually a top five heavyweight. It was, it was no joke. It was the worst, worst pay-per-view fighter we've probably ever had, John Ruiz. Was anyone ever satisfied <laughs> with a John Ruiz fight? <laughs> <laughs> that one, against Roy Jones. I was satisfied with that one. You like that one, okay. <laughs> right. So I, you know, to answer your question, actually, the first thing that flashed into my mind was Alexis Arguello Ooh. going up against Aaron Pryor. Yeah. Remember, Arguello had won three weight classes and was the champ moving up through uh, one to a featherweight, then 130 and then lightweight. And then he went to 140 and then he had the super fight, two of them with Aaron Pryor at 140. Think of that. I mean, we, we've almost, we're blurred on that now because Pacquiao's ascension was so mind blowing, but that was also incredible that one guy could be a champ almost of four weight classes. I watched I watched that fight in the moment as I know you did. I I was rooting for uh didn't the Mancini fight had happened before the prior fight. We'll get with Arguello. Huh. I I'd have to think. I'm not sure. You mean against Duku Kim? No, no, no. Arguello versus when Arguello knocked out uh Mancini. Oh, wasn't that Cause I, I, there was some reason after I thought that was, maybe after. it was after I, I had, there was some reason I was rooting for Aaron Pryor against Arguello. I don't know why, but I was in on Pryor. And then you come to find out after, like, we still don't know what he was on in that fight, but it, it was like the all drug Olympics skit on SNL with Phil Hartman <laughs> when his arms come off on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, yeah. weight. He's in, he had Panama yeah. Brown in his corner doing God knows what. And Pryor was just. God only knows, but he had a lot of energy. Yeah, that well, that fight. was not, not that bottle. Yeah, but not, yeah, still to this day, people say, not that bottle, the bottle I mixed, right? People still say that in, in boxing. Yeah, don't give him that bottle. Give yeah. him the bottle I mixed. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, think, I think we're saying that in a few sports now. Um, oh, yeah. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. How, uh, how popular is Canelo, in your opinion? Oh, I think he's massive. He's a massive star. I mean, and, and certainly the way the demographic goes now in boxing as, as well. Uh, I think, you know, it's the key is to stay, to stay this good in your post prime, you know, it's building your brand. So your brand, like this probably happens in a lot of things, your brand becomes um, more important than your actual skill, but you have to keep winning. You know, that's kind of the beauty of say baseball is that you, you, at least you used to be able to age while, while you were famous, you were famous, and then you could still be on top. So Canelo is just getting big famous in, like, the Northeast. He's big in the Southwest, the Mexican fans, obviously. Um, and I think now he's still in his prime. If he fights as often as he has been and keeps winning, you know, he'll be, you know, one of the biggest global stars we've seen ever in the sport. You know, there's no reason why not. And it, it is part of the, again, the emerging demographic country and uh it's a matter of him you know still delivering the goods and i've seen no reason why he can't do that um i was right arguello did knock out mancini and then fought prior i really took the mancini knockout personally i was all in on mancini's dad (laughs) um i you know the canelo thing about him fighting floyd too early 
it was weirdly a great career move because he fought him so young, it was a loss, but it doesn't totally feel like a loss because he wasn't like the fully matured. It was almost like LeBron losing to the 2007 Spurs, right? You don't hang that on LeBron. Mm. He was like 21. And with Canelo, it was like if he had beaten Mayweather, that would have been an unbelievable upset and stunning. And he didn't, but it actually it made him so much more famous. I do think that is responsible for some of the fame he has now, that fight. If he had skipped it, maybe two years later, I don't think Mayweather fights him. Mayweather probably avoids the shit out of that fight, right? Oh, yeah. No, no question. So is that one you know, time he could have fought you know, him? Yeah, because, right, if he waits, then he treats him like he treated, you know, Keith Thurman, you know, or Sean Porter, like when that next wave came up, like he wants no part of those guys, uh, let alone Spence or Crawford. And, no, you're right, in that that there's, there's no better way to get famous than fighting Floyd at that time. You know, Floyd was super famous at that point in his career, and that put Canelo in front of everybody. And it's, as you see now, it's hard. Like, you know, well, now it's, it's, a, it's also a post- uh, pay-per-view era, but in the pay-per-view era to get any, to get a million buys or 2 million buys is extremely rare. And he was able to do that and be in one of those fights. Yeah. Well, your dude who you're announcing this was Sugar Ray, my guy, was one, one of my guys mm -hmm. had him on a pod seven years ago. It was an absolute delight. Um, one of the things I loved about him was he, he, he went early on some big ass opponents. He'd Benitez, he fought Duran during like the exact time in life you never would have wanted to fight Duran. Then he went back, got him again. He took on Hearns. Um, and that was, he was relatively young during all that stuff. But I think there was a path where he could have just been on Wild World of Sports and gotten some belt and beaten some punching bags for a while. But he went for it right away. Um, Canelo, I think going for Mayweather early in a weird way has made him more likable, like for somebody like me. Cause I don't know. I, mm -hmm. he, he wasn't ready when I was there. I could, you could, we could tell it would be interesting. Now this version of Canelo, you know, maybe the weight limit part of it wouldn't, wouldn't work the same way, but it would be interesting. Like the, the Canelo in his prime versus Floyd with all the tricks he has now, what, what that, how that fight would have gone. What do you think about that? Yeah, um, I, you know, if you continue to age Floyd, like, you know, you know, Earth is doing, then eventually you beat him anyway. Um, and, and Canelo is bigger. But if you just like if you're doing a dream matchup, like Floyd is a tough out for anybody. You know, he's just not going to be hit. I, you know, I, it, it would take the level of the guys you just mentioned to say, all right, dream fight in their prime. They can be at their best size. They could be the same size. You know, I'd have to go to like Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, or Duran, uh, Hagler, to say, no, 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 Floyd doesn't beat those guys, but Floyd beats most everybody else. He's just such, he was so hard to hit. He was such a good boxer. Is he, what, give me your top five that you've seen. Uh, Roy Jones Jr., um, I think is the best I've ever seen. Mike Tyson in his prime. Mm. Um, mm. Hagler, Hagler I've seen on uh, on TV, not live, but uh, enough on TV. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, hmm. Hmm. I'd have to think now, would I get cute and get Pernell Whitaker in there or would I just, uh, go for Sugar Ray Leonard? It's got to be in there. Sugar Ray Leonard's a top 10 pound for pound guy. So I think that's, I think that's kind of my, like my top five. This is a better question. You have access to a time machine. You could book any fight 
from super lightweight all the way through middleweight in any division and grab two people, what would your fight be? You mean any fight? Can I go heavyweights? Well, let's go, let's go non-heavyweight first. Okay. Two guys to fight in their prime. All right. I'd love to see Sugar Ray Leonard and Floyd May- Mayweather because I think Sugar Ray Leonard just boxes him left and right and beats him like, like 10 out of 12 rounds. And, but there's a part of me that's thinking maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> so I would love to see that. I have Sugar Ray in, in that time machine fight. I have him as a minus 250 favorite. Cause I think, <laughs> cause I think he would have stalked him. I think Floyd would have tried to get cute and Sugar Ray would have moved into stalking Sugar Ray mode, which was my favorite sugar, which he does in the tail end of the Hearns fight, you know, and he knows yeah, he, he needs vicious. it. Yeah. yeah. He, he turns into yeah. like a stalker puncher Sugar Ray, which I love. Um, I think Hagler Floyd would have been great. I think that's the one I would book yeah. because the lead up to it, I think <laughs> Hagler just would have hated everything about him and the antipathy that would have built over the six months. And then the actual fight, now, Floyd would have had to put on weight for it is the problem, but... Um, yeah, yeah. He, he could never do 1.6. Like, you'd have to... You'd have to, you'd have to meet at like 156 or something, but... Um, yeah, you'd have to reconfigure it because Marv, Marvelous is too big for him. Yeah. But... He'd, he'd, he'd kill him dead. You're right. It, it, it would be bad. If, if there was some way that fight could have happened, the lead-up would have been great, and then the actual fight of Hagler just would not have let him kind of not fight. We'd be like, we're doing this. We're, right. we're fighting. You're not dancing around. I'm catching you and we're going to do this. <laughs> that would have been good. I think Floyd Tommy Hearns would have been classic too because Her- Hearns Leonard was classic. And uh, I think yeah. that mix would have been good. What about uh, what about heavyweights? I, I still would like to see Ali Marciano. I'll go like the wow. original 1971 dream match because I, I did a lot of study when uh, you know, we were both back at ESPN. I was doing classic <laughs> ringside with Burt Sugar. I love Remember that show. Shows? Yeah. And, oh, I, I love those shows too. So I had access to like every bit of film on Rocky Marciano. And I, you know, I grew up probably like you thinking, oh my God, like Marciano, like he was so overrated. He became, you know, like it became this, like he couldn't have been that good. He was lucky. He just knocked guys out. He was Italian. He was popular. I get it. He's a white heavyweight, all of that. And, but then watching the tape and watching one film after another, I, my thought was, you cannot rule out Rocky Marciano knocking out every heavyweight in history. Wow. You cannot rule that out because when you watch him, it's like, you know, by the way, you're just as blown away watching old Joe Lewis films, Joe Lewis, you know, you, you, I can't rule him out against Ali either. I, Joe Lewis had short, vicious punches, got his feet in position, had an unbelievable power, but nobody had power like Marciano. His hands were just atomic. And so he would get, he you can't rule out his, his fighting spirit was such that in every fight I watched, you realize he will get to this guy. You don't think he's going to get to this guy, but he will get to this guy. Mm. And once he touches him, he's crumpling him. So uh, that's what I would still like to see. Even though I think Ali is the greatest you know, heavyweight ever. And he's, you know, you know, just liquid fast, you know, before he was banned from the sport and it was, it, it's tough for anybody to catch him and he probably wins any all time matchup. But you can't be sure once you've seen every Marciano fight. Ali fighting one of these like 260 pound dudes from the current era would have been interesting. 
Because I, I don't yeah, think they we... wouldn't have touched him. They wouldn't have touched him. I don't think. I don't. Think. Who was the biggest guy he ever fought at his peak? It's just like these guys <sighs> now, Foreman, probably. Yeah, yeah. And look, he stood and he ran right across the ring and traded with George Foreman. So no, forget it. Even though I think, look, Joshua is uber athletic, and he he fights smart, and he's got tremendous power and speed and all of that. But Ali is just—I mean—he's wondrous to watch. Um, and yeah, against George Foreman, stood there and traded. He's bigger than we think. You know, he's six three, two and a two and a quarter. Yeah. Um, and that was you know the oh, that was an older version of Ali. I think the younger version of Ali, forget it. You know, what I mean, even if he was two hundred and you know fifteen pounds, how do you how do you how do you touch that guy? You can't you can't touch him. The Cleveland Williams, like that kind of range for Ali, I I think is my number one. Uh, draft pick in this argument. I just think he, that yeah, was the, the all time athletic speed, power, footwork. Like, just, I, I just, if we ever see it again, I hope I'm alive. Yeah. No, there's uh, not at that, at that size. It's incredible. You occasionally see it with guys who are smaller, <laughs> but, um, and a guy who also threw his hands. That's the thing, like the difference between Floyd and Roy Jones is I want to see a point where you throw your hand. You know, you're not just there to gain, you know, a victory. Yeah. But you're actually fighting. And and Ali would do Ali was not, even though he was moving and he was maddening to watch, like Sugar Ray. You know, Sugar Ray was the closest, I think, version of Ali that we've seen since. And right, he would but there was a time where he would, you know, he would he would move his feet a lot. And that would be bothersome, right? I was more of a Hagler fan than a Sugar Ray fan when they were actually fighting, because I liked the guys that fought. But now, comparatively, you look at Sugar Ray Leonard, and he's throwing his hand. Like, yeah. you know, he's he's in it. And Ali was like that. His his hands were moving. He he was just taking you apart. Yeah. See, I wonder in the, in the age we live in now, if somebody was that great of an athlete, I don't think they would box. I think they would. They yeah, would probably yeah. play. Be playing basketball yeah. or football would be my guess. And that's why the, no, the Ali thing was a fluke. Yeah. 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 So um, the financial incentives are such, right? Um. Before we go, can you tell me what's wrong with the Red Sox in 30 seconds? Um, it's weird because we were talking about it on MLB Now, and it's weird. Like, you know, I don't really don't get into this. I get into the raw production of what they actually are. But the, the metrics actually show that they're not playing on-point baseball. Their whatever it is, their fighting spirit is not there yet because the metrics show their base running and their defense is slipshod. They're, they're powerful. That lineup is still there. But, you know, when the starting pitching is faulty and the lineup is, is just listless, they're just they're not playing on-point baseball. They're not getting after it. So that's a problem. And they're, beyond that, like their third-order win percentage is 28th in the league. So I, I didn't think this until, like, now, but I think they might have real problems. Yeah, it, when they fell to eleven and seventeen, that was the first time I I said to myself, "Wait a second, is this? Are we really just gonna suck this season?" I kept waiting for them to come around. They swept Tampa. I was like, "All right, here we go," and it just hasn't come. I do think this whole October baseball and how grueling it is and how we use pitchers now becomes a disadvantage next season, especially if you win. Um, Especially if you win and you try to keep the exact same team together, all of a sudden you have a couple of disadvantages. I was confused. The number for them was really low heading into the year. 
lower than I thought it was going to be for their win-loss total and stuff like that. And then Pakoda came out and I think had them in 89 wins. And I was talking to my Red Sox fans and we're like, 89 wins? We have like a $250 million payroll. That's crazy. 89 wins? Mm -hmm. Now I I think I would take 89 wins. Can I have 89 wins right now? (laughs) (laughs) Can we go 89 and 73? That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so they knew something, something stiffed it out. Do you think anybody separated themselves yet? Uh, not quite. Uh, the Dodgers are unbelievably deep. Yeah. They're better. And Bellinger, Cody Bellinger is a superstar, speed, defense, power. So they're very deep. Uh, however, yeah, the, the Astros are right there with them. The surprise is that the, look, the Indians are clearly not the same. Red Sox, not the same. Yankees are very injured. So the other super, and even as good as the NL East is, all those teams now are pretty good. Dodgers are just deeper. For six months, you're not going to beat the Dodgers. And then in the tournament, uh, Astros are in their prime, and they get after it. You know, they play on-point baseball. They attack you. Um, So I think they're still better than, the the Rays are feisty and all that. They're good. But the Astros can back it up for six months. So I think the Dodgers-Astros are at another tier. The Rays are ludicrous. I am in this... uh... I'm in this crazy AL keeper league that I think I've told you about before. And they just have a bunch of dudes that all of us have picked up for like two, three months. Like Yandy Diaz. I think he's been on every team in my league. You just dollar flyer and Yandy Diaz out. Oh, they're not playing them. Wave them, get somebody else. And they just have a way of finding these dudes. And then all of a sudden they're thriving. And you're like, really? That guy? Now? Why that team? And I, I don't know how they do it. They, but they do it over and over again. Maybe it's the lack of pressure playing in front of 11,000 people every night. It's just nice and if, calm. It, you know, there's probably a few things in it, but they stole Tommy Pham. They did. You know, they stole Austin Meadows. I mean, those are quality guys. And uh, for like Yandy Diaz, I think it's a smart pickups where you see a guy who's scorching the ball that hasn't quite put it together. And maybe, you know, in this day and age of, it's really the performance optimization age where some teams are very good at figuring out what you do well, what you don't do well, and maximizing what you have. And I think the Rays, obviously the Astros are one of those teams, the Dodgers are one of those teams. You get better when you go there. I don't think it's an accident with the Rays either. Yeah, the Jalen Beeks thing bums me out. I hate when the Red Sox prospects go to other teams and start doing well. Do you feel like uh, every year people care more about their own team and less about the other teams? No, I don't feel that, but I have a skewed view because I'm watching whole league at, at MLB Network. So I don't feel that, but why do you think that it's getting more regional? Yeah, I definitely do. I think, especially because the games are longer, I think mm-hmm. I care about my own team as much as I ever have, but I care less about the other American League teams than I ever have. If that makes sense. But isn't that crazy that you can now, like, again, think of the at bad app and think, you know, MLB Network, zone even now with baseball. You can watch, you know, I mean, we couldn't do this as kids, by the way. If you were, a, if you and I were Dodger fans, we can watch the Dodgers where we lived. And yet you can now. So shouldn't it be going the other way? Yeah, but it is going the other way. I think that, I think all the stuff you said is part of it. You can, we have all these different ways now where I can just, kind of know what's going on without having to actually watch anybody else. I'm saying I just watch my team. And then like the highlight mm. shows and the little things, like you can get bits and pieces of everybody else. But I I would never at this point, maybe I'm older too, but you know, be like, oh, raise Indians, I'm going to dive in. Like I'm always just watching my team. And 
Yeah, see, I feel I feel the opposite. I always feel I can watch some of a game, but I, I'm always flipping back to MLB Network. I'm not just a plug. I I do. I want I want to see a couple of games at once, and I want to see that matchup, or I want to see, um, you know, how's Patrick Corbin throwing, or mm. hey, it's the Phil. Now they've got Bryce Harper and Andrew McCutcheon. I want to see them. Oh, Degrom is throwing, or hey, uh, you know, Pete Alonso is hit a home run. Now isn't it back to the Mets? Pete Alonso. So I don't know. It kind of crosses over a lot for me now. Mets savior, Pete Alonso. The Mets fans yeah. are just, they're so desperate. Because most of the Mets fans, it's their Mets, Islanders, and Jets. They like Mets, Islanders, Jets, Nets. That's usually like that, those four. And they're just beaten down. I'll just leave it at that. Just a beaten down, <laughs> beaten down group of people. I was, I, I, was I, I grew up a Jet fan and a Nick fan, and I have given up both. I oh, have wow. feelings toward them. I mean, that's I terrible. Mean zero. zero, nothing. That's pretty it's rough. Gone. I mean, I mean, I don't even know what I don't even know what they're doing. I know it's all bad, but I don't even know and I don't care. That's how bad that's gotten. <laughs> they don't own me, you know. I don't owe them anything. I right. was there for them, and now it's not worth it. Yeah, you got to you got to do something for me, even if you're. And the Mets are not that. The Mets are not in that position. The Mets did have done enough through the years. I mean, they, they just they got to a World Series a few years ago. So and they're they're exciting now. By the way, have you watched any of the Mets? Mets are exciting now. So I have they, a lot of they, Mets they, fans in my life. The others haven't. Yeah, I have a lot of Mets fans in my life, so I'm well I'm well aware of what's what's going on with them. It is funny though, if you leave your team, people are horrified and think terribly of you. But like if you broke up with your wife or your girlfriend, I'd be like, Oh yeah, that's too bad. It's it's almost like it's it's worse to break up with a group of random dudes wearing a jersey that you liked when you were a kid versus <laughs> an actual human being. Um, unless unless you unless you say it about the Knicks, I've found people go, oh yeah, no, that's unbearable. yeah, the smart move, great move, great <laughs> you move. Had to leave them, you way, had. <laughs> way to run. So you're calling the uh, you're calling the fight this weekend with Sugar Ray Leonard. You like where do you sit? Do you like the vantage point because you're close, right? Oh my, oh my god, yeah, on the ring apron. Oh yeah, once you get used to that. I mean, you just, I mean, cause do you, you look at the monitor or the fighters? Are you looking, oh, are you both? I'm, ooh, both, but mostly once I'm up and I've kind of established some storyline, I'm hyper-focused on the two physical guys in front of me. I, I, cause you can see much more. You can see their eyes. You can see their eyes roll up in their head. Yeah. You can see when they squint, you can see when they're um, upset. You can see when they're like advancing and they're vicious. So yeah, I, like I want to smell it. So as much as the, sometimes you have to get back to the monitor to see what the viewer is seeing. But yeah. when you're on the ring apron, man, you want to look at the guys in front of you and watch the actual human beings in front of you. What's the most disgusting thing that ever hit you when you were sitting ringside? Uh, nothing. It's not as bad as people. No? Think. It's not. It's, not a blood, no. blood splatter? It. Spit? No, you tough it up. Yeah, here and there, but nothing beyond Mouthpiece? That. Mouthpiece right no. in the lap? Nothing? No. No, no, you get sprayed. You get sprayed sometimes, but you know, a little sweat, a little blood will not kill you. Um, no, it's it's not that. I know people that have these horror stories, but I was at Bo Galata at the Garden, so I'm not worried about oh, like, God. a spray of sweat. You Jesus, know? I'm worried about a I'm worried about an you know a five foot cell phone hitting me. You know, that's all. <laughs> it's amazing you're still alive. You know, it's funny. Last yeah. thing, last thing, and then I know I have to go. Boxing had this moment like. I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, and everybody's like, MMA is taking over. Boxing's dying. It's dead. It's gone. It's going to be finished. And then you look at by the end of this decade, boxing is the hottest it's been in like 20 years. And people fighting for yep. rights for everything and <laughs> fighters. And the zone gets people like Canelo, and it, there's a bidding war and people's promotions. And HBO gets out of the fight game, which seems like it's bad for boxing, but. 
it actually was great for boxing because all it did was put a premium on, you know, on-demand content. You have all these these uh, apps like The Zone that um, that want people to pay X amount a month and come in and watch the fights here. And now boxing is flourishing again. I would have put the odds on this at, at 15 to 1 in 2010, right? Yeah, it, it is improbable. I think two things are happening. You hit on one of them where it's boxing has become very amenable to the new technology like and and places wanted inventory right yeah. just like like in baseball you know the regional sports networks needed inventory to build this channel now we've gone to the next level and you need inventory and you can't just go buy SEC football but you can buy boxing and the other part is and I was saying this years ago saying the heavyweight division is dead I said it's dead to you, but there's 50,000 people in a stadium in Germany watching it, you know, right. watching you know, Vladimir Klitschko. So it's not dead. It's, just, it's not in Madison Square Garden. Well, now it's so international, and this is part of you know, like matchroom boxing, Eddie Hearn, that's what DAZN is, is, is using primarily. Um, a lot of the top fighters are you know, English, Eastern European, obviously, and there's still a mix of Americans. So as we've become much more global and it's easier to watch global things, I think that's been the other part of it, that it's exciting between Canelo and the Mexican fan base, Mexican-American fan base and fighters. And that blends now with, with English, you know, German, uh, Eastern European, and it's, uh, you know, and Asian. You know, like it's just, so it's global. It's more global. And it's more, you know, it, it matches what's happening within the media structure at the same time. Well, you're always one of my favorite coworkers. The two things you loved the most were baseball and boxing and now that's that's your whole life, and I and I'm happy for you. I'm I'm psyched that you get to call fights. I'm psyched you're doing baseball every day. Uh, you were one of the true, true diehard sports fans that I know. So congrats on everything. No, thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. It's always good to talk to you. I, well, we'll see you out there. You got to get out one of these things. Yeah, this know? one I'm not getting out to because I have it's it's my daughter's birthday combined with my wedding anniversary. So somehow. Yeah, I don't know what I out. was thinking for doing first weekend in May. I really should have thought about this better and aimed for like second week August for everything. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> so that weekend's been out. I've never been in the Kentucky Derby. Um, but yeah, I will be at, what's the next one? The one at, what's the one in June? There's, June 1st will be Anthony Joshua. They've got to get his opponent. And then June 8th is Triple G, both at the Garden in New York. Yeah, I'm going to be at one of those. Yeah, you'll see, you'll see me in action. All right, thanks for coming on, Brian gotcha. Kenny. All right, Bill, a pleasure. Take care. All right, thanks to Jackie McMullen. Thanks to Brian Kenny. Thanks to DAZN. Don't forget, Canelo versus Jacobs. It's coming up. You better get in. Download the app. Sign up. Just do the thing, man. That, that's going to be a big fight. You don't want to be left out. Thanks to Simply Safe, easy to use protection, no contracts, and fair prices. Made in a city that is about to give you the Boston Grand Slam, potentially four straight titles. Hey, I mean, and not counting Simply Safe, which always has the title. Uh, engineers keep working during power outages or down Wi-Fi. Go with the only home security I trust, Simply Safe, by going to simplysafe.com slash BS today. Simply Safe with two eyes. Simplysafe.com slash BS. Back later in the week with more. <laughs>